Welcome. To Arcade Audio. Hello, friends, and welcome to Shared History. The few, the proud, the history. Oh, we are few. We are not a couple today. We are few. Yes, because how much more um is few than couple? Oh, yeah. it's one more. Oh, a so there's few is three. There's three people here. So that must mean but, it's me, your host Cass Maher, me, your other host Nat Younger, and as always, DJ Rip. There's a DJ ramp. Where wow. has that been? I broke a sweat during that. Uh, so show over. I'm sweating too. Um, oh boy. My sound Just getting hot out. and bothered by Foley. <laughs> Mick Foley? Scott Foley. My sound has not cut out. I just did the silent laugh, which, like, that's when you got me. Yeah, if you can ever get Cass to be quiet, that's when you got her. <laughs> wow. She's doing it again. Ooh, oh, man. DJ oh, Rip. What a what pleasure a and a joy. What's up, y'all? Oh, man. DJ Rip here in his official capacity as DJ Rip, but also as our guest for this finale episode, because we're gonna waterfall a story again. We're gonna, I'm gonna drink a little bit of a story, and then I'm gonna spit it into Cass's mouth, and then she's gonna spit it into, is that a waterfall? No, I think that's, I didn't, I think that's baby birding it. Oh, I didn't binge drink in college, so I don't know. <laughs> I went to state school, so I did. Oh, okay. Thank you. I went to art school. <laughs> Rich just went to a swamp. I went to swamp school, y'all. Hey, I'm damn digging here. Man, waterfall is when you just dug a swamp deeper than the current swamp. And it falls into it. Look at that waterfall. <laughs> and that's gravity. What degree did you get in swamp school, Rip? Uh, cattails. <laughs> that was actually the... Um, the Swamp version of DuckTales. Yeah. Uh, I minored in airboating. Good. Oh. I'm glad you did. I, okay, I'm, I'm reborn with energy and excitement for this episode because hot little disclosure to you, <sighs> our listeners, but we actually already recorded this episode. We recorded it a little over a month ago. We, we had, honestly, we're lucky. Our first major technological disaster kerfuffle and in it was lost it was it was lost like the every book in every old library that ever apparently existed in history natalie said i didn't need to take the blame for it publicly but i'm going to we um like i said or like natalie said we waterfalled an episode we all had the same topic natalie would start i would take the little middle chunk and then rip took the third chunk just but, like the season one finale, yeah. but with a twist. The twist was 
Rip did not know the topic, so he didn't get a research, so we literally sprung it on him and kind of felt bad. We're like, oh, he won't have time to do the research. We're kind of putting him on the spot. But Rip actually got through with probably more dates and more detailed facts than both Natalie and I, even though we did research. I mean, y'all obviously didn't feel that bad about it because you still did it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, we like, we're like, we felt bad about making you come on an episode when we knew you were really busy. That was our way of making us feel less bad about forcing you to guest on an episode when you are insanely busy was by also making you recite a small history with no preparation. (laughs) We also were setting you up for success because we knew we chose. We knew even if like you were like, oh, all my memories jarred, you would still be able to just rifle things off. Yes. And you did. We we chose a topic that Rip knows a lot about and is near and dear to his heart. And because we're also currently video recording, I believe this in Zoom right now, Mm. Rip is going to put on his little actor's hat for a moment while we reveal the topic. So that he can pretend to be as surprised, excited, and mildly terrified as he was the first time. Today's season two finale, Shared History. We're going to do the history of wrestling. Oh, (laughs) yeah. Give us the bomb thing again. Oh, (laughs) Mushroom cloud. Uh, in in full disclosure, and just to, to keep up with the gimmick and the kayfabe of this, and we'll get to that word later, uh, of this particular episode, I have done zero research, even knowing that we were going to be coming back to this. I have, I've, I've, that's not quite true. I've looked up two names, and okay. that's it. <laughs> to be if fair. If anything, you've done reverse research, because a lot of time in quarantine has happened since then, which means you definitely have lost brain cells, as oh. we all have. I have a pea brain, and there's a very good chance that I just forgot what the topic was to begin with. Yeah, I've, <laughs> I've been getting dumber over quarantine. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and my hearing um, is getting worse. If what? anything, the playing field is leveled because Cass and I haven't looked at our notes for this really since The playing we field is not it. leveled. To be fair, Rip studies wrestling every day of his life. How often do yes. you watch, like, rewatch old episodes? We kind of mentioned this in... This is going to be deja vu for us because we're going to be talking about some of the similar stuff. But you do a fun thing with all of your Florida friends. Yeah. Can you tell us about it? For 500 episodes, we ended at episode 500, a bunch of old college friends. We uh, had a a little show, uh, probably the worst titled podcast in the history of the medium called Podswoggle, a wrestling podcast with entertainment, uh, formerly with irony until we actually looked up what irony meant. And then that kind of grew out of just uh, recreationally watching a lot of wrestling. Uh, And, of course, us having all met in college, we wanted to turn into a drinking game. And one of the best events in wrestling history there are is the Royal Rumble. It's a 30-person battle royal, uh, which starts with two participants. And every minute and a half, on average, uh, another participant enters the ring. And then to eliminate people, you have to throw them over the top rope with both of their feet hitting the floor. And we translated that into drinking. Uh, So we have been playing the Royal Rumble drinking game since 2008. And uh, yeah, just because like there's only one Royal Rumble event a year, 
well, we like to drink more than once a year. We uh, just started playing this game to old Royal Rumbles. They go back to 1988, although we don't really do that one that much because there were it's 1988 and it's not that enjoyable. But yes, that's that's sick, like sick burn to 1988. <laughs> Look, I love the fact that Hacksaw Jim Duggan won. He's my boy. But well, spoilers. People, I, well, you'll forget it by the time we actually start doing these rumbles on Zoom, baby. <laughs> uh, bonus content. But yeah, so I don't really go back and watch too much old content. And also, just to be perfectly clear, I'm very flattered that you uh, have me do the history of wrestling. Not once, but twice. But if anybody is watching a lot of old wrestling on a regular basis, it is the former host of Potswoggle, current co-host of Married with Movies, Chris Mullet, uh, who currently has a uh, running pay-per-view retro diary on ArcadeAudio.net, starting with like the first pay-per-view ever, and he's just kind of going through time. And also, what I know is, a, and I mean this, a drop in the bucket compared to his wrestling knowledge. So if you really want to go through... Uh, some like real minutia of of any sort of wrestling or anything like that. Just like hit him up, hit him up on Twitter. People listening to this, just be like, hey, what was this thing? And he'll tell you. But yeah, so but he's not here, so fuck him. Uh, <laughs> so you're 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 the most expert person here. Yeah, because... exactly. I'm the foremost expert. You're in the Zoom. Yeah, and I've been watching since I was at least like three four or five something like that like one of my earliest memories was wrestlemania 6 uh hulk hogan versus ultimate warrior and the ultimate challenge and watching that like in my parents room for some reason it was on in there but yeah so that was like my earliest memory and then just kind of like from there on but again like mullet's literally been watching since he was okay rip zero. In the you were you were the anchor of the waterfall save this history okay all right yeah i'm yeah. done yeah. i'm done save this personal history mm-hmm. because that might be your earliest memory of wrestling but did y'all know that wrestling is question mark the world's oldest sport what the origins go back at least 15,000 years. Mm-hmm. We do not actually know how wrestling began. We see wrestlers in cave drawings, in ancient sculpture, in art, on like reliefs carved into monuments and tomb walls. In the Iliad, uh, we know that there's some wrestling, part of the famous funeral games that were held to honor Patroclus by Achilles. Ajax and Odysseus face off in a wrestling match. There is wrestling in Indian epics, such as the Ramayana and the... Oh man, I knew how to pronounce this the first time we recorded it, but let's see. Mabaharata? There's a lot of A's in it. In the Sumerian epic of Gilgamesh. And there's even wrestling in the Book of Genesis. Jacob is said to have wrestled with God or an angel. So there's, there's really no fine date on like when wrestling happened we've just been we've been wrestling since the day we were born wrestling with ourselves and gods and angels apparently as rip would say tussling is instinct tussling's instinct <laughs> yeah man wrestling's great literally and metaphorically lord knows there are plenty of wrestlers that are that have wrestled with demons but also like as soon as you started listing off all the different ways that we've seen like wrestling through centuries like those also all sounded like actual matches that may or may not have happened in (laughs) current day wrestling like a cave match 
Yeah. You know, a Gilgamesh. We've got <laughs> Ajax. Uh, yeah. Literally on September 5th, uh, on the all-out pay-per-view for AEW, there will be a Mimosa Mayhem match. Is that just a bunch of, like, basic girls being like, Mimosas, I'm going to finish my picture first. It is Chris Jericho, uh, so no. who, uh, one of his current catchphrases right now is, a little bit of the bubbly, because he had champagne when he won his first championship for AEW. And he will be facing off against Orange Cassidy, who, if you're not familiar with him, just Google Orange Cassidy and what a delight. YouTube him. And so the winner <laughs> will be this. the one who throws their opponent into a 500-gallon tank of mimosa. So there's really no loser here. Yeah. No. I'm looking at Orange Cassidy. For the sidebar. Here's here's to the ladies who clinch. Oh, aren't they a blast? (laughs) Trying to think of something that was the right amount of syllables and almost the right sound for brunch. I just want want everyone to know that I don't want to be associated with Orange Cassidy because he's just just rocking a lot of douchebaggery. He looks a little douchey. You got to watch him. He is... All of the, his shirts are him wearing shirts with him on it, wearing a shirt with him on it, with a shirt with him yes. on it. His gimmick is lazy. Literally, <laughs> he it. wrestles with his hands in his pockets. Okay, I could get behind that, actually. Yeah, you, you really got to watch clips to <laughs> get Orange Cassidy. If, if you want kind of like a historical touchstone, if you will, um, that's very thorough or detailed i guess for wrestling there's no archaeological excavation or historical document that has depicted wrestling so completely and like technically accurate as drawings in the temple tombs of beni hassan in the middle in middle kingdom egypt which also now everything i say sounds like a grudge match (laughs) beni hassan grudge match in ancient egypt but what's wild is that if you look at like any Almost any artistic depiction or historical depiction of wrestling from 15,000 years ago, it looks like wrestling today for the most part. Like a lot of the holds are the same. And of course, when I'm talking about wrestling versus when Rip is talking about wrestling, I'm talking about more of like what you would see in the Olympic event of wrestling because that is... That is the history that I will spin for you for, for wrestling. Well, back to, like, tussling his instinct. Like, before, you know, we had weapons and stuff, like, unless he could grab a big old rock or something, like, that was kind of how you had to Fisticuffs. fight. Fisticuffs. You settled yeah. disputes that way. Yeah. yeah. It's even within, it's, it's, it's instinct within the animal kingdom as well. What a little... Baby cubs and whatnot do, and 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 little baby, little baby lions, they they tussle like in Lion yeah, King. They mix Scar it up. And, Scar and Simba. Did you say Simba? Simba. I love it. <laughs> but no, no yeah, it's Simba. it. It was so like you've been doing it for so long, you're gonna figure out how to do it well. And like Hakuna you said, Matata. like all the Hakuna Matata. It's <laughs> my favorite wrestling move is the Hakuna Matata. <laughs> or as a uh, uh, piece of shit wrestling writer Vince Russo would call it, Hakuna Matata. <laughs> um, but no, there's only yeah, so many like, ways you can wrestle. So many ways. Yeah. Like you find the best way to do it. It's, it you've been doing it for 15,000 years. It's going to codify quickly. Codify. Codify. But yeah, so like we have wrestling in cave drawings and in carvings dating back to the dawn of civilization because it's like we came out of that womb and we just, what is tussling if not like, it's basically crawling over another person. 
and under. So the style of wrestling that is practiced worldwide today and that I am kind of more of talking about is known as classic wrestling or Greco-Roman wrestling. So it only makes sense that if I'm going to give a brief history of wrestling, that I will talk about those two components, the Greco and the Roman. Um <laughs> There's also freestyle wrestling, which is really popular in America and the UK, and that is also an Olympic sport. But I'm not going to talk about that one, because I love the Mediterranean. (laughs) The golden age. Nothing if not consistent. (laughs) I have a brand. It's the Uh, golden age of the Mediterranean. But my brand is the golden age of the Mediterranean. My brand is Brad Pitt in Troy. Man, underrated movie, if you ask me. I I loved like Greek and Roman mythology and history growing up. Like Gladiator came out when I was ten, and it was my favorite movie. Troy, give it shit if you want, but I love that kind of like ancient Greek epic. Now, are genre. you one of the folks that will defend Alexander to its very end? No, 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 no. Because there are those people out there that are like, no, it is one of Oliver Stone's best movies. Nay, one of the best movies. It's like, calm down. First of all, I won't go on a whole thing. First of all, I've not seen it in years. Second Same. of all, there was no reason for it to be that long. Third, it, I don't know. It was kind of at the height of Angelina Jolie. So it was really, it was hard to see her as like, I'm the queen mother whatever it was just like this is angelina jolie doing her star turn in this movie and then there was like there was like weird stuff between alexander and mom and it was just like nah it was just not a good movie i don't recommend it although as always good hair there's always there's so much good hair i didn't think i'd like colin farrell as a blonde but it works yeah my brand is also my hair my hair goals brand is also uh brad pitt and troy so you know gotta be consistent across yeah it. any sort of flowy lock bp down down legends of the fall great ponytail if i'm gonna have a short hair bp i'm gonna go for uh meet joe black oh mm. now that's an underrated movie that's Woo! a great soundtrack fest. great soundtrack. scotch scotch long but is it? I had yeah. it on VHS. It was two tapes. <laughs> was it really? It's a long movie. It's like a three-hour movie. I had a single tape for VHS, so maybe my VHS was just bigger mm, than maybe yours. you never actually saw the second half of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> wait, 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 it doesn't it doesn't stop after he gets hit by the car? Oh, spoilers! <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> it could. Good. I laugh at that part every time so hard, which is so bad because he gets hit by a car. It's just so out of the blue, and he just flies. It hey, gets man. me every time. Like it like like not like emotionally gets me, but like I don't handle jump scares well. And I, I, know, it's I know it's coming. <laughs> if you need someone to direct someone getting hit by a car, you dial up Martin Brest. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> but if you need to direct somebody getting wrestled, you dial up the ancient Greeks. Yeah. <laughs> Way to bring also, it back. Way to bring it back. No no shortage of People getting hit by cars in wrestling angles. So it still it's kind true. of works. Natalie, please. We Back have to eight. move on. <laughs> we have to move on. Uh, I'm so sorry. It's all my fault. Wrestling became the final and decisive event of the pentathlon, the five-fold contest of the Greek public games. It went long jump, javelin throwing, discus throwing, the stadion, which is a short foot race, and wrestling. 
in addition to the pentathlon, wrestling was also just, you know, part of the ancient Olympic game. There is a whole combat category to the ancient Olympics, which included wrestling and boxing and the pancreation. Pan- pan- I probably should have Googled more things. I, I believe it's pronounced pancreas. Thank you. Uh, it's called the pancreas. It's <laughs> an empty handed combat sport in which the only rules are against biting and gouging. Lame. Everything else on the table. <laughs> Wrestling is recorded to be as being first introduced at the 18th Olympiad. It was the first competition to be added to the Olympic Games that was not a foot race. So it was all running, and then they added wrestling. You had to have three throws to win. A throw was counted if your body, hip, back, or shoulder touched the ground. If both competitors fall, nothing's counted. Uh, it was the most popular event in the Greek Olympic Games. The list of Olympic wrestling winners has been recorded since... 708 CE. Nope. The other one. <laughs> Either way. BC? B- that's BC? Only, that's like three digits there. And that's so crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yup. Either, either side of, either side of yeah. the. Of zero. <laughs> one of the most famous Greek wrestlers. I, now I'm going to ask. When we originally recorded this, I said like, do you know who it is? And you didn't. But now I'm going to be like, do you remember who it is? And I won't. <laughs> Didn't we talk about getting dumber? Yeah. It's it's Plato. Plato. That's right. I think I actually had a, at least a guess last time. Yeah, I think you I think you guessed like Socrates or Aristotle. You yeah. did guess like what is who is known as a philosopher, yeah. I believe. So, so then, you know, Plato Plato's gonna be coming for you. Yeah. I'm gonna get you with the uh, right, with no oh god uh, with a uh, drop Plato hold. And get you down for the one, two, three. I'm gonna mash you up like Play-Doh. That's what I figured. <laughs> That's where I thought we were going. That's a much simpler. Our reference level is much more limited. Rip sounded much cooler though. Rip could do a lot more puns with t- the toe and Play-Doh than we <laughs> have the knowledge level to do. Um, yeah, Play-Doh. Uh, you know, you know him. You, you know him. You love him. Student of Socrates, teacher of Aristotle, father of babyface, father of Western religion, once came out of a cave, whatever, has a cave, and I don't know, (laughs) father of pure reason, you get it, but also- Those are all straight up like wrestling nicknames. (laughs) The father of pure reason, the cave daddy, (laughs) out of the shadows. And into the spotlight. <laughs> oh, and that's like the classic like wrestling storyline is is like the same way that oh uh, uh, Larry Zabisco was Bruno San Martino's protege, but then turned on him. Like Socrates was Bruno San Martino, and Plato's uh, Larry Zabisco, and you know he just you know the teacher eventually becomes the student. Well, I mean, if we're going back to like the you know talking about like the. The Iliad and the Odyssey and, like, all of these great mythological or these, like, great warriors. Like, anytime you introduce a warrior, like, it's like the guy from Knight's Tale where he gives, he introduces Heath Ledger. And he's like, yeah. oh, Rick von Lichtenstein. And he gives all of the, like, the cool yeah. things he did. Like, it's very, like, wrestling is has not changed much. It's all about it the the name brand and the making you sound cool. Well, especially because the name Plato literally means broad. 
Uh, it was a nickname given to Plato because of wrestling. The story is that his coach, Ariston of Argos, dubbed him Plato on account of his broad chests and shoulders. So cave daddy indeed. Was Plato so, a beefy boy? I think Plato was a little beefcake. <laughs> also, so Plato was a gimmick name and not his real name? It was not his real name. His true name <laughs> was supposedly Aristocles. Oh my god, that is so wrestling. Holy shit. He was living the gimmick. He was like, hey, if it fits, it sticks. And I'm all K Fabe. I I also love it because I just love the idea that he's like, I can crush you with my mind and with my body. <laughs> Brain and brawn. Oh man, yeah. what a regular Lanny Poffo. Well, also, I love that, like, I love all of the name drop and, like, real deep cut <laughs> reference that, like, Rip is going and Cass and I are like, uh-huh, uh-huh. That just, one, like, ignoring. yeah. Anytime it happens, look it up and you will find disturbing facts about whoever I'm talking about. Natalie, Such as Lanny Poffo can wipe with one ply of tish- toilet paper and can fillet himself. Oh, Natalie, okay. Natalie, do you yeah. know why I did not remember it was Play-Doh? Because Why? Rip just kept throwing out names and There's like too facts many. of like being able to flayed himself and yada, yada, yada. And I'm like, oh, all the names have gone out of my Sorry. head. There are too many in yeah. there. Oh, don't stop. Never stop. Never, ever stop. <laughs> That's my excuse. There are other theories that Plato has given his name due to his breadth of his eloquence or knowledge or his wide forehead. No. But I choose to believe that it was his wrestling persona because honestly, better story, better bits. Did you ever watch Summer Heights High? I have not. Oh, it's like an Australian TV show um, where he plays all the characters and he plays Mr. G, this um, like theater teacher who's obsessed with his chihuahua. And you know how they have those big foreheads? He's like, Selene is very smart, look very large, brain size. And so that just made me think of it. And I wanted to do an Australian accent and say Selene. Yeah, there we got to the the crux of the matter. That was all for me, guys. Continue. Um, If we're turning this history into more of like a little thirsty, little thirsty history. (laughs) um, Ancient Greek wrestling. So our our thick Plato boy (laughs) was also fought in the mud Ooh. Um, and there were no pauses like you just there were no like periods or pauses. no it rounds just, yeah you mm-hmm. just just straight tussling just straight mud tussling <laughs> tussle till you drop i love a mud tussle love a good mud tussle <laughs> so that is so like i said today the most worldwide form of what we consider more traditional wrestling that is practiced is greco-roman wrestling so we just covered the Greco. Now, real quick, the Roman, because it's mostly the same. Because after the Roman conquest of the Greeks, Greek wrestling was absorbed by Roman culture and became Roman wrestling. So they just were like, this, but like, it's ours now. Mine. It was during the, the period of the Roman Empire. So 510 BCE to 500 CE. So it's pretty much the same as Greek wrestling. They just branded it. It's new Coke. Romans <laughs> called. <laughs> Romans called their version the Orthiopale. Orthiopale? Yeah, that one. I don't know how to say words. There were a few slight variations. The sport was divided into two parts, an upright part and a part with ground fighting. So vertical and horizontal, I guess. Uh, some sources Just going to do some, match... some horizontal wrestling. Yeah. Some sources say that the match would continue until someone gave up and, demitted, and admitted defeat rather than the three throw rules of Greece. Oh, so an I quit match. Yeah. 
It's basically, yeah, basically. Is that a when thing? Somebody was like, that is absolutely a thing. I'm glad. That's just, I feel like, what tussling in, like, sibling rivalries is. <laughs> <laughs> Uncle! Oh, no. Uh, it's, it's, except for those aren't an I quit match. Those are the I'm telling mom match. Oh, no, no, no. I would just, like, if my sister even, I thought she was going to lunge at me, I would just roll up in a tight ball and say, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. And then my mom would be like, Katie. We weren't we weren't a physical altercation family. I used to say that my older brother was a furniture shaker. He like like never hit shaker. me or anything. Like we wouldn't get into like a physical brawl, but I feel like every time I picked a fight with him, there was like a chair or a table between us or something, and so he would just like grab the edge of it and kind of like jostle it and then like that was enough. I just would like run away. Sudden <laughs> movement. Yeah, ah! basically, basically, you can scare me away like I'm a cat. Yeah, me, and, me and my sister never fought. I was just intimidated very easily. Yeah, uh, I I broke my I broke my brother's arm. Oh um, God, we weren't a I physical stole, family at all. Broke his arm. We well, no, but but I broke I broke my brother's arm running away from my brother. So I stole his blankie. So I would just do things to try and end a fight. Like I would just like pick an insult that made absolutely no sense that I knew would really make him angry. I would do that when we were teenagers. And then this is okay. This is horrible, but I have to share this anecdote. Uh, In high school, I was fighting with my uh, getting in an argument with my brother. He was making a lunch and I, for some reason, decided that the ultimate end of this fight was to completely out of nowhere, non sequitur, declare that his girlfriend was a beard. (laughs) Um, And his response was he literally just threw a slice of lunch meat at my face. (laughs) And I, to this day, regret not catching that in my mouth. (laughs) Did it just like smack on your face and stick there? That's yeah, that's <laughs> in my head. Don't answer that. That's what needs to have happened for that sequence to be what it needs to be in my head. Yeah. I just um I I broke his arm in like a similar childhood way where to end an argument or a fight, I stole his blankie. We were much younger than the lunch meat. <laughs> it was situation. like two years before. It was like two years ago. Yeah. I stole his blankie and I ran away because he probably shook a piece of furniture and when in in his pursuit of me he slipped on his blanket on the tile floor and went down and broke his arm wait what's what's your brother's name again paul 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 Mueller, the furniture shaker (laughs) as an only child i didn't have siblings to take this aggression out with so i had this uh they made this these things called wrestling buddies back in the day. And they were just basically stuffed animals, but they were wrestlers. Uh, And I had a Hulk Hogan wrestling buddy. And I used to have matches with uh, him in my living room whenever my mom was taking a nap in the afternoon. And I used to have my hallway as the entranceway. And I used to wear my little tidy whities And I used to wear these wrestling like socks. They were like, like slippers, but they went up really high. So they were like my boots. And I used to like, you know, use the arm of the couch as my uh, top turnbuckle, you know, doing high risk maneuvers. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, that's that's what I used to. I used to beat up uh, my wrestling buddy, which I still have, by the way. And he still beats up. Yep. I love this so much. I just love the image of like a, of like little rip flying through the air. <laughs> little curly haired, tidy whitey rip. He's still got Beautiful. the beard. 
<laughs> yeah, a full beard. <laughs> so the greatest popularity of the Olympic Games was mid-Roman Empire. So around 125 CE. Uh, it's in the middle of a period known as the Five Good Emperors. And for our listeners who are big old, I don't know, Roman history nerds and want to know who those are or are interested, that's Nerva, who began his reign in 96 CE through its... Nerva through Trajan, Hadrian, Antonius Pius, and Marcus Aurelius, whose reign ended in 180 CE. It was in that era... That the movie Gladiator was made. That the movie Gladiator was made. (laughs) So while they're filming Gladiator, they also develop (laughs) the catch-as-catch-can style of wrestling, which is completely free. There are no holds barred, which is apparently where that phrase comes from that I did not know. We're barring none of the holds. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. also the title of a uh, Hulk Hogan, Tiny Zeus Lister movie. Hulk Hogan, no holds barred. It's yep. truly a baddie movie. Continue. So there are no holds barred on any part of the person or the garments of the opponent. And that, that's the forerunner of modern freestyle wrestling, which is the other style of wrestling that is an Olympic event in modern day Olympics. But basically, in Roman and Greek wrestling, you can't use your legs in offense or defense. In freestyle, you can. The sport of wrestling was uh, not used only for entertainment or athletic events. It was also used for training the ancient Roman army. Because tussling is always a good strategy. Strategy. Always be tussling. It's a great strategy. There's a contract. um, Oh, okay. Okay. I feel like another thing that is the like quintessential, I feel like this is probably more boxing. Is there a history rip of wrestlers like fixing and throwing matches or is that just a boxing thing? Because I feel like it's like a boxing movie thing to be like, Bobby's got to fight this weekend. <laughs> I keep telling him, I have, they keep telling him he got to throw the fight and I keep telling him to stay home, Bobby. I have some information about that in my section. Oh, about, about throwing fights? Yeah. Yeah. Because for wrestling in particular, that gets kind of muddled just due to the predetermined nature of it. Uh, That's true. What a stupid question, Natalie. But no, but yes and no. Okay. I'll say that. Okay. No spoilies. There's a contract between two wrestlers found in Egypt that dates back to 267 CE when Egypt was a wealthy province of the Roman Empire that indicates that ancient Romans had ways of fixing competitions to their liking even back then, even that back then, Bobby couldn't get a fair shake. In this contract that they found, it, it the father of one of the men fighting in a teenage division, it's a real dance moms bullshit happening right now, in the teenage division of the 138th Great Antonia, agreed to pay a bribe to the opposition if he would lose intentionally. The quote from from this article that I read about this said that the quote that the payment was for thirty eight hundred drachmas of silver and old coinage, and this isn't a surprise to you guys anymore. Nor should it be, just based on my personality. But I tried to do the math to convert what that would be today. It's not easy to do. <laughs> it's pretty much impossible to figure out what that is today. But based on some very bad math, I came to the conclusion that it's a hundred and eighty six. 361 modern US dollars. Here's the bad math. There's some estimate that a that one fifth century BCE drachma is like about $25 in 1990. However, that's fifth century BCE. <laughs> and we're talking about 
267 AD. So what? That's like a difference of like 700, 800 years? Also to 1990. to, well, so that's a conversion from from about seven hundred years before we're talking about <laughs> to nineteen ninety. So, but I did the math. I decided that okay, so thirty eight hundred drachmas times twenty five dollars for in nineteen ninety would mean that this payment was ninety five thousand dollars in U S dollars in nineteen ninety, <laughs> and then I converted that to the modern. But like that conversion is based on on a figure from seven centuries before the figure we're talking about. If your face is just that <laughs> math meme right now, that is exactly how I felt. And whatever. But basically, okay, you could... But s- Natalie, how many euros is that? Oh, no! <laughs> or no, not euros, pounds. Oh, no! <laughs> because then you'd have like, to euros, take you could in like, account the weight the of the pound of in the 90s and the inflation no. since then. Wow, you did all that work for not... <laughs> And I didn't even convert it for our fans abroad. Uh-oh. Basically, you could... what you're driving at, though, it's, is Natalie's a that's essentially the first worked match in history. That we have evidence of. But it's like the fact that, that this happened yeah. in a teenage division leads you to draw the conclusion that we were people were fixing matches yeah. left and right. This was yeah. pretty common. <clears throat> well, and the fact um, that there was a contract about it makes it seem pretty standardized. Almost. Yeah. Well, so the the contract. Oh, I don't have this. Ooh, ooh. I don't have this in my notes, but I remember this f- from when I read about it. The contract also stipulated that 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 the payment had to be made to the competitor throwing the match, whether the officials found out about the fix or not. Mm. So even if like the jig was up, Bobby still gets his payout. Because we got to feed the kids, Bobby. We got to feed the kids, but... I can't go back to working at the shipyard. The Greek sophist Philostratus complained in his writings about trainers who, quote, have no regard for the reputation of the athletes, but become their advisors on buying and selling with a view to their own profits. So basically we had shitty... What's that um, fox... Fox catcher. Thank you. We had a very aggressive, problematic trainers way back when. Well, it just goes to show that athletics... Toxic masculinity is forever? Yes, but also athletics have always been commercialized. Also in wrestling, uh, even in current day, that uh, is still very much prevalent and also not exclusive to men. Uh, Look up the fabulous Moolah and she was doing... That's not a real name. That's uh, a real name. Uh, or at least, you know, that's her work name. That's her gimmick name. That's her Play-Doh name. Um, <laughs> uh, Natalie just yeah. clutched her pearls so loud you could hear it through the mic. Oh, man. Natalie, I have a question for you. Yes. Did, did it say the young gentleman's name that was in the contract? Or... No. No. Does it say whether or not he was sponsored by Nike? Hey! 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 Nike, wow. the Greek god of running sports swiftness uh, of sp- the greek sports. god of michael jordan it was like it yeah. was uh it was like the runner or something wasn't he i'm gonna or she pardon me i'm gonna look this up goddess of victory Ooh. and also victory! does it count as a victory if you paid for it if you're sponsored by nike it does apparently i guess <laughs> i mean nike's legacy is old and consistent <laughs> Every day's a victory if you're sponsored by Nike, because you're getting that Nike monies. That Nike monies. You're getting them Nike drachmas. 
It's not part of my topic, but you know that I did it because I love it so much. It And I feel like it dovetails nicely into where you pick up, if I'm not mistaken, if memory serves. I also did a little research on Turkish oil wrestling, which if you want, I can hold on to until you maybe get to that point in your story, or I could just spill that, that slippery olive oil all over <laughs> Spill that? Well, that's that's a uh, uh, wrestling speak for uh, give me the gossip. Is spill the oil? Spill the oil. <laughs> yeah, not not the tea. Spill the oil. Go ahead and spill yeah. that oil because I think our our overlap is just v brief. Okay, I shouldn't have done any research on Turkish oil wrestling, but I find it very fascinating. And also, it was already on my list of topics that I was maybe going to do at some point. Was I was just going to talk about Turkish oil wrestling, and then I maybe... just happened to have the tab open on my browser for a few weeks. I have a and folder on my it... desktop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In Turkish, it's yala gres, and it's the Turkish national sport, and it gets its name from the fact that wrestlers douse themselves with olive oil. Now, ancient Greek wrestlers did this too. They would cover themselves in mud and dust, I assume, because it's harder to grab on to each other. But I remember I first saw and heard about Turkish oil wrestling in an episode of Idiot Abroad. That's the name of the show. Yeah, I love uh, that show. With, um, what's his butt? Carl Pilkington. The basis of the show is that this guy is kind of very small-minded, not like mean or anything, but just... He just leads a simple life a, in the UK. He's just very, he's a simple boy. He doesn't want to know anything about the rest of the world because the way he lives makes him happy. And so yeah. Ricky Gervais sends him all these like amazing natural wonders and of the world. Stephen Merchant. And Don't Steve forget Merchant. my boyfriend, yes. Stephen Merchant. But he just, you're like, oh, traveling, you can't help it. It will open your mind. And he's just like, no. <laughs> yeah. He just looks around everything. I feel like every episode is him like looking around and like having what should be like some large transformative experience. And he's always just complaining that he can't get the crisps that he likes. I was just going to say the crisps. He's like, can't even get any crisps over here. Yeah. Or like having a hard time adapting to the public restrooms wherever he is. There was something where so he So it's had a lot of write... like this like beautiful splendor yeah. going on around him. Okay, I think he goes to one of the seasons he goes to the Seven Wonders or the ones that remain. And it's just all this beautiful thing happening and him just being like, Meh. He makes it to the end of the Great Wall of China where it meets the sea. And he's supposed he does some ritual. He's supposed to write his his dream or something on a piece of paper and throw it out to the ocean. He can't throw it very far and it floats back to him. He's just like, ah, come on. It's it's a delight to watch. And at a point he encounters Turkish oil wrestling and is very confused and like, just is like, why, what and why? <laughs> I feel like he's, he's actually a very sweet and kind guy. And he's never like the way you do things are stupid. He's just like, yeah, the, why is it? Why is it different where I'm from? Like, he's not mean about it. He's just like, I, I don't get it. It's it's very sweet. Yeah, they may, they do. It so well. the reason that he responded this way to Turkish oil wrestling is because Turkish oil wrestling d- wrestlers douse themselves with olive oil and wear a type of hand stitched leather trouser called a kisbet which is traditionally made from water buffalo hide, but more recently made of calfskin. And you win an oil wrestling match by achieving an effective hold on your opponent's kisbit. Thus, the wrestler aims to control his opponent by putting his arm through the latter's kisbit. So like down the waist, out the leg, basically. To win by this move is called is called Puchukusik or Puchukusik. And the 
the kismet covers them according to Islamic law. So from the navel to the knees. And literally, if you don't know, if you don't know what it is and you just stumble upon it, it looks like a bunch of very beautiful, oily men. Because I'm just going to go ahead and paint a generalization that the that Turkish gentlemen are very attractive. Uh, I have been to Turkey and I can pretty much mostly corroborate that opinion. <laughs> I'm corroborating my own opinion. No um, one, absolutely no one. Natalie Younger, Turkish men. Wow, wow, wow. I'm starting to kind of understand your whole Mediterranean thing now. Yeah. It's, it's, so, it's all coming together. So quick question. The kisbet. Yeah. You said it is it it complies with Islamic law of covering mm-hmm. the necessary parts of the body from the waist to the knee, yes. correct? Yes. So if if you look up pictures, they are shoving their hands like down their pants, whatnot, and they're yeah. trying to throw them, which makes me think that there might be some slippage. What is probably that doesn't seem like it would adhere to religious law. I, I little, don't, little I don't slippage. Know what to uh, maybe separation of religion and sports. Oh, yes, 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 yes. The ancient separation of spirituality and sports. <laughs> Look, dongliness is close to godliness. Isn't that the... What is it? Dongliness? Dongliness. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. I feel... Yes, yes, yes. The closer you are to a dong, the closer you are to God. Because I... it's an anagram minus the N. Yeah, yeah, there it is. I just feel like I... If I were going to an <laughs> Irkish, Turkish oil wrestling match i feel like i would just have like a loaf of focaccia and try to just swipe them as they're walking by just you're just trying to like kind of you have like a a a canister of parmesan (laughs) shake it on them and you're just throwing like fistfuls of parmesan on them and then trying to swipe them i I mean man i just love a good focaccia and olive oil some olive oil that i feel like you're gonna run into really high salt content yeah. in that situation very briny olives focaccia focaccia is a saltier bread i'm, I'm not gonna be mad about it all right i love a salty focaccia I mean, oh that sounds weird <laughs> <laughs> anyway um is what what else you <laughs> no no that's that's my favorite uh modern day finishing maneuver in uh wrestling is the salty focaccia oh no <laughs> Oh, already got him with a salty focaccia for the one, two, three. <laughs> I just, yes, I just love <laughs> the idea of Turkish oil wrestling. I love like its roots. It the ancient version matches had no set duration, so they could go on for days. They didn't introduce a time limit until 1975. So in my mind, then I like to imagine that there were people wrestling from like ancient Sumer, like Sumerian times through 1975, just like the same, <laughs> like much older, they're still going, much oilier, but still very attractive Turkish gentlemen fighting for for centuries. They would they oil each other prior to matches as a demonstration of balance and mutual respect. Oh, nice. So like. You can't be like, I'm going to make myself extra oily as an extra advantage because you are actually oiling your opponent. If you defeat an opponent older than you, you kiss their hand because Turkey respects their elders. That's so and, sweet. Uh, and like, as I mentioned, like you could trace Turkish oil wrestling or Greek wrestling back to ancient Sumer and Babylon. So we're talking 4000 to 2500 BCE or back to the Persian area in 1065 BCE for official tournaments. 
the prophet Muhammad had famously wrestled a man named Rakana so skillfully that he, that his opponent embraced Islam as a result. He was like, you know what? You're so good at wrestling. I want whatever religion you're having. Oh, so they had a religion on a pole match. Wait, is this a thing? What is happening? Uh, not necessarily religion, but on a pole matches are a thing. I'm learning so much. There's so many weird parallels and I love them so much. It's honestly, if anything, to me, it's like legitimizing like modern like entertainment wrestling even more. There there was an article a few years ago that came out. I want to say like 2015. Uh, I think it was a New York Times article called Everything is Wrestling. And boy, is has that only... wrestling. Yeah. Like, this is just proving that everything has always been wrestling. And that tussling is instinct. Tussling is history. Huh? I'm just to wrap up with a fun little anecdote that I found on uh, Turkish oil wrestling. It became established as a sport on its own during a campaign launched by Ottoman Sultan Oran Ghazi to capture Rumeli, which is Thrace. The Sultan Oran's reign was like 1323-ish to 1362-ish. So it's 14th century. So technically in where Cass will be talking about, but they were they were camped out on this campaign and they started wrestling for fun and two warriors were wrestling for hours and neither of them managed to win and the sultan's brother promised the winner a kisbit when they would continue their match during the annual spring festival so they wrestled till from morning till midnight became completely exhausted and then they both died and they were buried under a fig tree and that site that they were buried became the place Kirk, Kirkpinar Kirkpinar the capital of the Ottoman Empire for 91 years and the home of the largest annual oil wrestling tournament. So that's when it became solidified as a sport. Okay, but a, who won? Who died first? Is that what you're asking? <laughs> Is that like similar to who's on first? But oh. no, who died second? <laughs> What's on first? <laughs> what died first? But yeah, so the sultans and the elites often organized wrestling competitions. Some sultans even wrestled themselves. There's a Sultan Murad IV who frequently stripped out and wrestled his court officials. So he seems like he was a lot of fun to be around. He'd just be like having a having an audience with the Sultan. And he would just like, I like to think his clothes were tear away. And he would just tear away his clothes and essentially just be like, let's fight. Um, there, are, there are anecdotes where a servant would essentially be like, you've already bathed today, sir. You had a long day. You shouldn't oil up and wrestle. And then... Uh, Sultan Murad would like lift him up and spin him around until he said uncle and then let him down and reward him with gold coins. So <laughs> it seems like it was all in good fun or that this Sultan was delightfully batshit crazy. <laughs> Could go either way. Depends on the, how you feel as that servant. But the the biggest Turkish oil wrestling competition today is still the Kirkpinar, which we I just told you kind of the roots of. It is the oldest continuously running sanctioned sporting competition in history. The in 2017, after the 656th, 656th annual Kirkpinar tournament, the president of the Turkish Wrestling Foundation said that, quote, Turkish wrestling is seeing its golden age. So we are currently in not the golden age of the Mediterranean. But the golden age of some greasy Mediterranean wrestling. What a perfect... Brought you by the TWF. <laughs> what a perfect bookend, Natalie. Oh, are you going to start in 2017? I know you're not. <laughs> but you got to start with the beginning, the golden age of the Mediterranean, and the golden age of Turkish oil wrestling. 
Gosh darn it, I'm just gonna scooch on right past ya and drop this ad. Today's episode is sponsored by Raygun, Midwestern mega nerds and purveyors of fine clothes with words on them. Raygun has been called the greatest store in the universe by Raygun. They are the most important clothing store Earth has seen since the early Mesozoic era. They specialize in timely witticisms, t-shirts, and modesty. If you breathe oxygen and wear clothes when you go places, you'll love it. And yes, this is a real ad and Raygun is a real company with real stores in the Midwest, which is a real place. Or you can shop online at raygunsite.com. That's R-A-Y-G-U-N-S-I-T-E.com. Use promo code PewPew for free shipping and sick laser finger guns. Now back to the show. And with that perfect bookend, we gonna jump over to the middle of history. The The meat. The meat, the meat of this history sandwich. The part de of the waterfall, the bridge from Natalie to Red. The bridge over the River Kwai. The big meaty middle, the big Mr. Meat. Just big meat slapping up history meat. And that's a reference to uh, Big E talking about what he wants his uh, dream match to be. Uh, just him and Goldberg, just big meaty sweaty man just slapping meat. <laughs> what, I'm, what I'm loving so much, I was so kind of... I was sad, really sad that we lost the original recording for two reasons. One, just Rip's reaction to the unveiling of the topic. But two, there were some ridiculous bits in there. And I'm glad to say there will always be ridiculous bits. Oh, you're lucky I can't help myself. I was a little worried. It's like it was so much fun doing the first episode, or the first version of this episode. And Rip, like, literally all off the cuff and exactly the same as this you're worried you know it's the same it's gonna get stale you're gonna either accidentally redo bits or try to whatever nope just as exciting just Just as much fun and a lot of new and different bits and it's gonna be just as long of an episode sorry not sorry yeah so i'm i'm over here taking the middle chunk and um to nat natalie spoke of some overlap just because i briefly want to mention emperor theodosius the first that's my attempt at my Hamilton uh, reboot of Dear Theodosia to Emperor Theodosius. In 393, oh my goodness, I'm guessing this is CE because he prohibited all pagan games and outlawed the Olympics, <gasps> which uh, which is because of the whole Christianity thing, which makes me think that it's CE and not yeah. BCE. When the Roman Empire switched over and they're like, we're embracing JC, uh, they didn't super embrace a lot of other religions. Actually, they were very, I mean, they were very tolerant of all kind of religions and faiths and whatnot because they covered a quarter of the earth at one point. But then, you know, Constantine was like, nah, now nah, we just want Christianity. And then, then it spiraled from there. And Emperor Theodosius was like, no, I don't want any paganites. I don't want any pagan games. The Olympics were a, you know, the Olympics referenced the Olympians, which were the gods, you know. Yeah. It was very... pagan, pagan by nature. Yeah. So he outlawed the games. Thank you, Rick, for chuckling <laughs> softly to yourself, because it also made you think of naughty by nature. Yes, of course. Pagan by you nature. Go with... 
That's actually you know where the Olympics. Yeah, you know me. You know the Olympics. Yeah, you know me. Yeah, <laughs> that's how it goes, right? That's the version I've been singing for. That was years. actually the uh, the original Olympic anthem. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and then they changed it to the. Da, 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 da. We are the Olympics. Da, 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 da. Those anyway. are the lyrics. NBC. NBC. <laughs> <laughs> Any NBC sports theme, uh, that's no one knows this because you never actually they fade it out before it ends, but that is the end that's like the end cap to the song. So like Round Ball Rock by John Tesh. It's NBC. NBC. I thank you for doing all the verses. Yeah, it was I was like, damn. And the bridge. That's Straight up the vert. So if you go on YouTube and look up uh, John Tesh Round Ball Rock Live, there's a concert that he does at Red Rocks where he like tells the story of how he came up with the song. And then he plays uh, what he recorded for himself when he called his own answering machine when he came up with the, the, the tune. And then a live rendition of Round Ball Rock breaks out and there and just drink every time you see a puffy shirt. That's all I got to say. I mean, that's oh how I live God. my life in general. <laughs> if I see a puffy shirt you drink, you pull out yeah. your flask, your little mm-hmm. hip flask. Tussling in puffy shirts immediately. <laughs> immediately what I need when I need a drink. Well, anyway, uh, <laughs> Emperor Theodosius, I'm a little off key. Um, he prohibited all pagan games. He outlawed the Olympics. And so the sport lost popularity, um, especially at the level that it once was. But it was never... It was never extinct. It never completely went away because, as we know, say it with me, friends. Tuslin is instinct. So, thus developed various what we call folk wrestling styles, which um, I kind of went into a little bit more than the actual kind of history. I like kind of want to go through all of the different styles, um, and one of which is. Turkish oil, Turkish oil wrestling, which I can say now. Turkish oil wrestling, Turkish oil wrestling, Turkish oil wrestling. Um, so it went out of style. And then all of these folk wrestlings, which just is the specific rules and versions of wrestling within these communities and regions. It was often named for where you were. So there is the Scottish backhold where you grip each other around the waist, the right arm is under the opponent's left arm, and your chin is resting right on the right shoulder. So if you look at a picture of this, it just looks like they're snuggling, you know? There's a difference between, like, you know, like a hold and whatnot, but they're really just, like, they're just snuggling, and it's nice. a a very strong embrace. Yeah. A sweet, strong embrace. And that's how it looks. It's actually very violent, but it looks very sweet. (laughs) Cool, 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 um, cool. Like dachshunds, the f- they look very sweet, but they're actually—they oh, can be some of the most aggressive dogs. I was picturing dachshunds doing the hold with the. I was like, their legs aren't long enough. No, no, they use the whole rest of their body. They like wrap. <laughs> they wrap they coil like a snake. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, I've seen that. Um, the first person to break the hold or touch the ground with any body part other than the feet loses. Um, there's collar and elbow, which originated in Ireland, which you grab the shirt by the collar at the elbow or by the collar and at the elbow. And, um, you have to get your opponent to touch any other body point 
part to the ground. Can I just say, you, and I'm not just saying this because that's it originated in Ireland, but that doesn't seem like that doesn't sound like an official sport. That sounds like how you would throw someone out of a pub. Oh like no! Grab 100%. them by their collar and at their elbow, and you'd th- throw yeah. them. Yeah, I'm picturing just like a bar fight. Okay, cool. Like just, just kind of long- how you. I don't think that's what it was, but that's what just what I'm thinking. Like a loose, ruffly shirt, and you're like, "Damn you, Patty!" And you throw them out. That's not what it was. I don't think. I would not assume. But yes, it just sounds very Irish. Yeah. Um, Mongolian. Folk wrestling was, it was very, uh, a variation of jacket wrestling, which is similar to collar and elbow where you just, it's like the kismet, you know, you grab the jacket and you got to throw them down in oil wrestling. You grab the kismet, um, in Japanese, uh, the rule was, uh, for sumo, you want to force the opponent out of bounds or touch the ground without the soles of the feet. And that one was, I think with sumo, I think of more as leveraging and trying to get them out of bounds that's more of a a pushing wrestling yeah in my mind always um so that's the one that kind of varies from a lot of these are gripping variations various... of jacket wrestling yeah or grabbing a, a garment well because in sumo wrestling like they do what do they call the garment that they're the belt um i don't oh my gosh I, was, I, I couldn't remember if you had already said it no and i, there I is, don't there's a way to win Kind of through that too, and yeah, and but in it's that not sense, through the grip, it's 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 just using that as a way to yeah shift the balance. Yeah, I believe it's called a, a mawashi. Okay. Yeah, um, but and yeah, and they can grip those too. Yeah, because and I, I don't I've know if that, that's, but it's more yeah. of it's not like it's not like for example Turkish oil wrestling where it's you literally to win you have to get a firm grip on right. the kiss bit. Yeah, it's more of using a firm grip on the muyashi, muyashi to usually shift balance or yeah. throw them out of bounds. Got yeah, it. well, and yeah, and when I think of sumo, I think like obviously they're grabbing and they're holding, but it is like almost pushing as opposed to I don't know when you yeah. grab on. That's just what I think of when I see it initially. Lute traditionnelle is a West African. That's another one where you're trying to push them out of bounds or you're trying to knock them to the ground. Um, Koreda is Australian Aboriginal um, wrestling. All of these different folk wrestlings developed because, well, wrestling has gone on in every country in the world. Um, in Europe, it lost style because of uh, Emperor Theodosius banning and outlawing the Olympics. So it kept its roots. It kept, you know, permeating. And then in the Middle Ages and Renaissance in Europe, um, it was practiced by the social elite. It was a nightly event, um, not in the evening, um, actually done by knights. By knights. Like Heath Ledger in A Knight's Tale, which was a totally historically accurate film. 100% mm-hmm. historically um, accurate. Alongside <laughs> the film 300, mm. which is also extremely historically accurate. They actually, actually, in... um. Ancient Sparta, they too painted on their abs. They did. They did. They uh, the <laughs> airbrush. airbrush gun is uh, actually a, <laughs> it's just like a blow dart, but Greek artifact. Yes. <laughs> oh my um, god! What if they like? What's the? What if? What? What's the tattoo where 
it's like stick and poke. Is it called stick and poke? Yeah. Yeah. Where what if they like stick and poked? Not that that's a that's not a Greek thing, but what if they no. stick and poked uh, abs on themselves? Excellent shading. Yes, it's beautiful. I, yeah, I think we'll tell everyone that's real. That's mm-hmm. what they did. This is history. <laughs> so it was it was uh, practiced by knights. It was practiced by nobility. Um, it was very highly celebrated and encouraged in its practice. Famous painters, Caravaggio, Poussin, Rembrandt, Rousseau, all of them, they depicted them in their frescoes and their reliefs. Um, most of them you would often see, uh, like, look, like the top of the Sistine Chapel. You're going to see a lot of, like, angels and demons wrestling everything. Oh, angels like, and demons? Oh, yes. Um, also referenced in uh, Dan Brown's seminal classic, Angels, angels and Demons. And demons. <laughs> But it oh, is, I'm sorry, it I is. thought you were referencing uh, the fallen angel Christopher Daniels and uh, the demon Finn Balor. Oh, yeah. No, that's what I was or, referencing. I'm just giving Natalie. the demon Jeff Torborg, who was a kiss wrestler. Oh. Um, yeah, Dale Torborg, he was a strength and conditioning coach in baseball for the Florida Marlins and then became a wrestler uh, as a kiss-style wrestler. However, yes, I mean I'm like a, like choosing smooching? to believe that, yeah, that's the what Dan I'm choosing Brown to style. believe. Is is just... <laughs> That's what we used to call it back in my day. You'd invite oh. a boy over for some lip wrestling. <laughs> yeah, get him in a classic lip lock. Yeah. <laughs> oh, tongue Lord. wrestling. Tongue in cheek. <laughs> and my tongue in your cheek. Hell. That's the mouth version of collar and elbow. Yeah. <laughs> or yep, yep. Yep. Um, if you if you think <laughs> of a lot of uh like renaissance paintings there's a lot of like like tumbling and like free flowing and whatnot of like the angels almost like falling into into hell as they're wrestling the angel or the demons and and back and forth so a lot of like it i think aesthetically it kind of just worked for art of like oh look at these natural arcs and they're tumbling and they're falling and whatnot also they wrestling and also a lot of references to jacob wrestling the angel or and or god that's also did you know where the the little jacob's ladder toy have you ever seen one of those i have but i didn't know that it i came from it, a thing it was referenced because uh jacob i think it was after he wrestled the angel he saw a vision of a ladder leading to heaven with like angels on it and whatnot Oh, so yeah. it was a ladder match. Yeah, a ladder match, absolutely. Also, they reference in the Bible of him, um, his hip was popped out of his socket. And I just like to think he like fell and he's like, oh, I saw an angel and I wrestled him and I beat him. It's like, nah, Jacob, you old. You hurt yeah, your hip. You just, you just took a tumble. <laughs> you wasn't tussling, you was tumbling. You were tumbling. There's a difference. <laughs> One requires an opponent, the other doesn't. <laughs> the other, the opponent is yourself. It's you. It was um, you the whole time. <laughs> um, maybe the true journey was the angels we wrestled along the way. <laughs> nope, nope, gonna move on from that. <laughs> um, following the Middle Ages and the Renaissance, the Baroque period, they were kind of fancy schmancy. They were kind of bougie bitches. And uh, the nobility, it said they followed a dignified code of behavior which was a little prim, a little proper. Like, we're not going to to lower ourselves to strip naked and wrestle and everything. Um, so it was, once again, kind of abandoned and done mainly by rural populations 
and further developing um, folk wrestling genres, if you will. The golden age of wrestling, as we kind of know it, um, was from 1890 to 1914, uh, preceding World War I. It preceded and originated the quote-unquote professional wrestling, i.e. entertainment or showmanship wrestling. This was interesting because I always got confused by pro wrestling and amateur wrestling because pro wrestling is the WWE kind of raw, hey brother, you know, kind of showmanship. And amateur wrestling is the more competitive, the stuff you're going to see in the Olympics and everything. That always threw me because this is super just biased opinion. I thought of amateur wrestling pro as sports. more legitimate. Pro yeah. sports, exactly. You um, think of pro sports, you think the Olympics. You don't think yes. pro sport is men the 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 the, the, the men. theatrics of it. Yes. But the Even reason the soap opera. The, one of the big conceits about the Olympics uh are that they have to all be amateur athletes. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that too, yes. Um but the reason it was it was kind of termed professional wrestling is because the, in the 1830s in France, people who had no access to wrestling, amateur wrestling of like actual matches and competitive events, they started to form troops of entertainers and performers. And they would start performing at circuses. And it was kind of the break during the strongman competition. So it was more of an like acrobatic, circusy kind of acting thing. So then they were making it very, very showy, very like, oh, look, this is fun. It was trying to get the crowd going. Wait, wait, wait. We're in France. What years? 1830s. So this is. That's so interesting because in. So I, I, I skipped over it, but also in France is where we developed the Greco-Roman style wrestling. And that's Shortly another before thing. that. Shortly yes. before that. They start doing the showier style, what is now today considered classic or Greco-Roman wrestling. The style and the rules, basically, that we still use today started during the Napoleonic period. Mm-hmm. The Napoleonic period is 1799 to 1815, so shortly before what you were talking about. Yes, and that's what, what kind of threw me a bit, is that what we know as Greco-Roman... I can talk. Greco-Roman wrestling is actually developed by the French. And it's yeah. called that because it was a a callback to the traditional wrestling styles um, and whatnot. And then that's what they, the first modern Olympics, they used Greco-Roman wrestling. It's also called French wrestling. So, yeah. So then, yes, in that era, the Napoleonic era and whatnot, that was, you're getting more competitive amateur style um, competitions. And then once that kind of teetered off, People couldn't, you know, they didn't get to go to these great, amazing bouts and whatnot. They couldn't afford or they weren't traveling around. So, yeah, troops started forming. And so uh, when people would get bored at these circuses or whatnot, they're trying to add a bit of a bit of flair to it. Uh, Jean Exprayat, a French showman, saw money-making potential here. So he started giving his wrestlers name like Edward the Steel Eater and Bonnet the Ox of the Low Alps. Which I would love to see Bonnet the Ox of the High Alps and Low Alps go against each other. Kidding, I don't think there was a High Alps. There should be. The Alps are there pretty high. Yeah, you get all that, that 
uh, high low Alp um, audience. Yeah, Crosstown Classic. <laughs> <laughs> the Cross Alp Classic. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I feel like at the High Alps, it's like you're fighting your own oxygen supply. <laughs> Or hey, a yeti, you know. <laughs> You're fighting a yeti. It's yes. the yeti. Yeah. <laughs> um. So this is so Jean Expert. I uh, he started going back to your previous uh, cue, Natalie. He started arranging fixed winners and rewarding wrestlers um, in the name of the audience, quote unquote. So a little classic applauseometer situation. Ooh. Um, and. The 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 winners, the fixed winners and whatnot, I, I don't believe these, like, people weren't betting on them. It's not like fixing a horse race or in, you know, the drachma situation. It was an actual competition, and he was like, hey, will you throw the match? It was kind of what you see in WWE wrestling in Glow, where it's like, we're going to have the heel, and, like, the audience yeah. likes this guy, and so we're going to... You know, it's storytelling. It's not. It's storytelling. So this is where the term professional, because they are entertainers. They're professionals in the sense of they are not trying to win. They are putting on a show. Um, by the end of the 1800s, wrestling, uh, it's like amateur wrestling itself became codified. I, is it codified or codified? I've always said codified. But That's what I always hear, but codified makes sense to me. Um, codified and regulated into formal competitions, uh, not unlike kind of boxing in the boxing era. Uh, there are big prize money, um, but the golden age was cut short by World War One, and then so and that was 1914 was when um, wrestling kind of lost its golden age, and that's when the rise of boxing really came in. Where you know Bobby's got to get this one last fight in. That's when we switch over to that kind of um, accent and character. (laughs) That's when we switch to that stereotype that we've created on this journey. (laughs) During the Golden Age, pro wrestlers participated in both sportive and entertainment wrestling. The Cornish American uh, wrestler Jack Karkik would challenge audience members to to last 10 minutes in the ring with him. Um, so that was Sounds just kind like of a way lawsuit waiting to happen. Yeah, a little. Uh, what was the um, not Andy Warhol, Man in the Moon that Jim Carrey played? Charlie Kaufman. Charlie no. Kaufman. Andy Kaufman. Andy, Andy Co- Kaufman. Yeah. Did- Charlie Kaufman is a we did record. It. We did it together. I remember seeing like Charlie Kaufman coming up in the credits of a movie, and I was like, well, I don't know. I saw Man in the Moon, and I'm pretty sure he is not a director and is not around anymore. Two different people. So, yeah. So, that was just kind of the, like, hey, the show's over. Audience participation. <laughs> Thanks for the suggestions. Who wants to get up on stage and, and play a game with yeah. us? Um, typical improvisers. Um, and it, it really was. Like, like they are entertainers. They're improvisers. They're playing off the crowd. They're feeding off the crowd. They know how to wrestle. So, they know all the moves and whatnot. And they also know how to do it to make it look Good. Make it look like they're hurting the other team yeah. and how to get the crowd riled up. In the in the golden age of of wrestling preceding World War One, this is where the division from pro and amateur kind of began. Because like I said, they kind of did both. If you were an amateur wrestler, if you were actually competing, you would also do some pro wrestling stuff. You would do stuff to draw in crowds and maybe crowds who couldn't either 
afford to or didn't have access to the the main competition. Um, there was a European wrestling championship champion, Georg Hackenschmidt, who was, quote, such a dominating wrestler that audiences lost interest in like his in his in his matches. Like he was just so he would just throw him like it wouldn't look cool at all. It was straight up um, like in 180 A.D. Marcus Aurelius's reign in the Roman Empire when the totally real character Maximus Decimus Meridius mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. just killed too quickly and then yelled, "Are you not entertained? Like, Are no, you not. not entertained?" And then Proximo says, "I wasn't the best because I killed quickly. I was the best because the crowd loved me." Yeah, win man. your crowd and you will win your freedom. I just watched that movie, but also I have that whole thing memorized. I love what? that movie so much. You can have, uh, you can only have so many squash matches before, you know, the <laughs> audience loses interest. And then you gotta, you know, sometimes you gotta, you know, uh, make Wait, it do you mean racquetball? Do you mean racquetball or squash? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. different kind of squash match. <laughs> That's why you need You need a good old fashioned barn burner. <laughs> Uh, as as good old Jr. would say, uh, a slobber knocker. Ooh. I don't like. I don't slob on my he's, knocker. It's an Oklahoma <laughs> thing. <laughs> oh, it's an Oklahoma thing that makes sense. Yeah, but he was he was so good that audiences just they're like, boo, it's boring, shake it up, and he didn't want to do like the professional wrestling. He just wanted to wrestle good and quick. Um, but his promoter persuaded him to learn showmanship. Um. And these were really the first elements of sports entertainment of, I don't care if you're good. I want the audience to be entertained and I will change your style if it appeals to um, audience participation, audience enjoyment. Mm-hmm. Um, in the 1920s, quote unquote, worked wrestling, which is professional wrestling. Um, it gained so much popularity that there were not enough trained wrestlers. So they switched to more violent styles with Weapons, chair shots. There was a lot of female mud wrestling became um, became popular. Uh, it was just everyone wanted it. So again, people who say like pro wrestling is fake, no, no, those are professionals. They know how to wrestle. They train. You have mm-hmm. to know what you're doing because, like, like Natalie said, like this may not be an effective move in real life, but it looks cool, which means it's dangerous. Which means you are doing things that you wouldn't normally do. You're throwing your body through the air. It's like pro wrestling is like, it's not just, you don't just need to know how to wrestle. You also need to know the showmanship aspect of it. You need to be an entertainer. You need to, Mm -hmm. so you basically, you need to be an actor. You need to be a heckin' gymnast for some of these moves. You need to do so many things. It's harder to fake a hit than actually take one almost, you know, and you have to be able to look like you're hurting your opponent while keeping them safe, which is really hard to do and make it look real. Um, so there were a lot of people who were like, we want to, we want more wrestling and you know, we don't really, we can't get professional. We don't want to train you. We don't want to pay for that. Just, you know, let's go in the backyard, hose down the, some mud and, you know, throw some chairs in there. Um, and it became really, really kind of violent and a bit unruly. In the late 1930s, London County Council banned pro, pro wrestling um, because it had gotten kind of just out of hand. 
Um, and the fir- in the first modern Olympic Games in 1896, that's when, like I said before, Greco-Roman uh, wrestling was introduced as an Olympic sport. Um, and in 1904 Olympics, Greco-Roman and freestyle. Yeah. Um, and freestyle is what you, we know mostly today in like high school and college athletics. That's freestyle wrestling. Yeah. It's also um, the catch as catch, catch, catch as catch can is also what it's called. Yes, uh, which Leo DiCaprio was amazing in that movie. So good. <laughs> um, so good. But yeah, oh, I and Freddie Prince Jr. was really good in the summer catches catch can. <laughs> you know what? I was surprised to see Jessica Biel in that. Or just, yeah, Jessica Biel. Um, no, when I started my research, I was gonna do like, what was wrestling in the Middle Ages like? And I started that, and then it turned into like what professional you know the the entertainment aspect of it was and i was shocked to see that it that it was in the 18 uh 1830s 1890s 30s, yeah yeah I because love the idea i think of, of like it a traveling like 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 oh yes your traveling shakespeare company is coming through town and then next week our traveling wrestling company is coming through town. There at the Ox of the Low Alps will be following a performance of Macbeth. Yeah. <laughs> tussling, tussling on the road. But yeah, I when I think of entertainment wrestling, I think of like the 80s was when it mm-hmm. began or something. And you no, know, it the golden age, the kind of entertainment aspect started a long time ago. Well, if you want to talk, though, about the 80s. We can toss it to Rip, who knows more than anyone should. Hey, about Rip, wrestling. catch. I'm tossing uh, it. Cat. Just, just tag me in. Just, tag, just give me that hot tag. Tag. Tag and in. I'll tag come in. in like a house of fire. Uh, thanks for This is where Natalie and I just sit wait, wait, back I'm and sorry. enjoy. A house of fire? Yeah, come in like a house of fire. Thanks for uh, getting all that heat on them heels. And then I'm going to come in like a bird face. I don't understand I- the phrase coming in like a house of a fire unless it's a reference to what is it is it in the is it in final fantasy you fight a house in a gladiatory battle look but literally... don't think too hard about it all right, all right. <laughs> uh we're just gonna we're just gonna uh, uh uh we're just gonna go home all right we're gonna hit the go all right home. we're gonna strap in uh so uh to to take it back also a few years um if you want to look up uh, the wrestling record of a young uh, uh, Abraham Lincoln. He is, uh, uh, as, as Lord tells cake. us, uh, he was undefeated. What? Uh, you know, as as again, as history, you know, history is written by the winners. So I guess technically that would still make him undefeated. He's um, in the Hall of Fame, isn't he, in Illinois? Like, he still holds a record. Uh, I believe he might be in the... Uh, he might be in several. There, there, uh, wrestling Hall of Fames are a whole thing. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if he's in the Cauliflower Alley Club Hall of Fame uh, or the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame. Sure, probably. Well, no. Uh, definitely not in the WWE Hall of Fame. He's um, in the Civil War Hall of Fame. I would hope so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's, in the, he's in the Sexy Statues Hall of Fame. Oh, man. Sexy Lincoln. I walked past that statue, actually. Um, last time I was in Chicago, and I was like, oh my god, there it is, there it is! He's sexy. Listen, and if you tell me that that sexy Lincoln with his, like, shirt laying open... His blouse. With his, with his billowy blouse and his book <laughs> on his knee, 
is uh, good at wrestling, I'd be like, yeah, that looks like a man who can tussle. <laughs> well, he had a, he had a, he knew his look. You know, he probably had a good entrance. Um, and obviously, old honest Abe. I mean, he yeah. even had a wrestling name. Oh, honest Abe. Honest Abraham what do you think this is? Lincoln. And then, of course, <laughs> yeah, he obviously had names for all of his moves. Yeah. Uh, his uh, his stable was the team the, of rivals. Oh, I I one time I saw his, him do his his classic finishing move, the Amansa Pain Shin. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see myself out. Thanks for having me on. Uh, <laughs> and cutlets. <laughs> Um, Can we yeah. insert a, a sound clip of the like when wah, the, the TV just like you know the TV's done? Remember when the TV used to end? Like TV, like the TV just stopped. Just the TV tone. Just used to end. Yeah, it was just that. <laughs> children today don't understand because it's just on a loop. But there it. was a time where there was just no more TV. At a certain point of night, mm. they stopped airing. Anything. Nowadays, nothing ends like this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> this is the pod that never ends. Uh, so yeah, so kind of going back to the end of uh, Cass's bit um, uh, uh, chronologically. So yeah, so wrestling started to become part of like this traveling, like circus carnival circuit, um, and much like everything else in uh carnivals then and today uh a lot of it is uh a work you know they're just looking for that sucker born every minute uh the and and that's where a lot of terminology that's still used within the wrestling industry comes from today uh is a lot of carny terms and and uh, depending on who you talk to like it's fully embraced as such um so like for example uh in wrestling terms there, there's uh, a couple different uses for the word shoot. Uh, one is if like you're a shooter type, a shoot style wrestler, in which like you kind of like shoot for the legs and stuff like that, and try to like actual grapple. But then there's also like shoot, as in shoot straight with me, as in the guns from the shooting gallery. This is the one that's true and straight and not like crooked and and you know so we don't have to give too many prizes away. Uh, shoot also in wrestling industry mean like so that means it's true so if there's ever like a fight that turns into a shoot that means there's real something has gone wrong and they have actually started actually fighting each other which <gasps> can happen there's also shoot interviews where guys uh basically just break down the fourth wall aka kayfabe uh, and just start telling the truth about what has gone on behind the scenes and who hates who, and they really start spilling the oil. <laughs> Wait, is that actually a term? Spilling no. the oil? No. <laughs> I'm just oh, I was like, calling it back. Whoa! Um, Good callback. But, yeah. And there's actually, uh, I'm going to send this in the chat, and we can link this uh, in the show notes but this is from the i'm I'm shocked that this page is still up and running because it's from grantland which hasn't been which has been defunct for years now uh but is the uh pro wrestling dictionary uh from i believe uh, david shoemaker put this together a few years ago uh and just the glossary of wrestling terms is fascinating and again a lot of them come from the carny days and and that's still been the tradition of wrestling up until just the last maybe 10, 12, 13 years is that you got to protect the business, protect kayfabe. You have to live the gimmick. If you are 
portraying this character in the ring in front of a crowd if anyone sees you outside of that context you still have to be that character because that's what gets people in the stands is them thinking that this is all real which in the wrestling business they still call fans marks uh do they really oh yeah Uh, And if you understand that the wrestling business is a work that makes you a smart mark or a smark. And uh, yeah, so that is sort of making its transition, uh, you know, because you do have your your plants that are in those carny crowds that like, you know, after your your champion takes on that person, then someone else comes up and they want to do it and they handle them. Uh, Because that's also like always another thing, like you have to be able to like handle yourself outside of the ring in case anyone does actually like try and challenge you because if you just lose to some Joe Schmo at a bar, some some jabroni at a local pub, then you've completely disillusioned the entire business and everyone thinks that that you know, it's oh, well then fuck this guy. He can beat up everybody else in the territory, but I can beat him up. Well, then the whole thing's a sham. Um so yeah, so around like the 1930s is about when we start getting the presentation of wrestling as we know it today. Um, you had your legitimate tough guys uh, like George Hackenschmidt and Dan Gable and Ed the Strangler Lewis. Uh, but then you start introducing the real entertaining aspect. And the first one to really pop off big like that was Gorgeous George. Um, well, because... I mean, he's gorgeous. Well, that was uh, a lot of what the gimmick was uh, was built on, uh, being this very flamboyant uh, character that was a heel and was meant to stoke a lot of the homophobia that uh, was just, you know, of the time. Uh, and and yeah, and he would, you know, you came because you wanted to see him, you know, get get his. But of course. You know, you wouldn't. And it was a great, great character, great promos. That's when promos started really becoming more of a thing and, like, trying to talk people into the arena as well. And then, yeah, as, as like, full-scale, like, traveling became a little less prevalent, there became the territory system of uh, wrestling uh, in America. Um, while wrestling was also still expanding worldwide, uh, so, for example, uh, Ricky Dozen... Uh, st- was a sumo wrestler. He came to America, started learning pro wrestling, and then took pro wrestling back to Japan. And that's basically kind of what started uh, that pro wrestling in that part of the world. Um, and then that would evolve to what we now know as today is a lot of uh, uh, strong style is a big Japanese uh, style. Um, the uh, British wrestling is known very much for uh, catches catch can style, which has kind of evolved from what you were talking about previously. Uh, then, of course, uh, in like ni- in like the 1930s as well, lucha libre became prevalent in Mexico uh, and was started there by Salvador uh, Lutheroff, um, and then you know kind of took off with uh, really the big one is El Santo. Uh, who was like arguably the first crossover wrestling star because in Mexico, like the biggest luchadors became basically co- like comic book heroes. They'd have comic books, they'd be in movies. There's like dozens and dozens of El Santo movies where he's just basically a superhero, but he's a luchador. Um, and then, yeah, so we get uh, the territory system in the United States which basically 
is exactly what it up into the sounds like. And the jets. Uh, you're not far off, except like you know, a lot more sharks and a lot more jets. Um, but yeah, so they just basically split the uh, the country up into a bunch of different, as I said, territories, uh, run by uh, a bunch of different promoters. Uh, and so, so it was like, like the Big Twelve, the SEC, Big Ten. Absolutely, yeah. Like in in it would either be like regional or by state itself. So mm-hmm. like Texas had uh, like world class championship wrestling run by the Von Erichs, but they also had like uh, and that was like Dallas and Houston. But then up in Amarillo, you had the Funks, Dory and uh, Dory Funk Jr. and Terry Funk uh, running Amarillo. You had. Uh, Vince McMahon Sr. running WWWF in New York. Uh, you had Vern Gagne running the Minnesota and Midwest Territories with AWA. Uh, you had the Grams running Florida. Uh, you had um, uh, Jim Crockett Promotions running the Mid-Atlantic. Uh, you had uh, uh, frickin' oh, what's his uh, stupid, he was a jerk. He was a real jerk running like Oklahoma. It doesn't matter. Yeah, jerky McJerk uh, <laughs> butt in Oklahoma. Old, old jerk face John, but you, but you had basically your like face Mick slobber knocker in Oklahoma. Oh. Bill Watts, oh. cowboy Bill Watts. Uh, we got him there. Uh, yeah, welcome. Um, it, was, it was all us. Yeah, you had uh, Mid South, all these different promotions, and all these basically heads of the promotion. And like in a lot of ways, it was kind of like uh, how like the five families of the mafia operated in New York, and they just basically all worked together because uh, so that. Consortium essentially became the NWA, the National Wrestling Alliance, not uh, the group featuring Dr. Dre, Ice Cube, uh, MC Ren, uh, Easy E. Disappointed, uh, you know. But uh, uh, in many ways, uh, quite as ruthless. Uh, and so, basically, it was a great way for them to share talent uh, because each promotion had like their hometown superstars, their 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 hometown heroes, and more often than not, it would be villains that would be. Going in and out of the territories for each of these uh, heroes to eventually build up and then defeat. Uh, and then they would move on to the next territory. So, you know, you say you'd have Andre the Giant coming in, uh, although he was mostly a, a good guy for the most part. Let's say you had uh, the million dollar man. Well, no, he wasn't a million dollar. Wow, I'm bad with the examples right now. Let's say you just had a bad guy uh, coming in. Ric Flair. Ric Flair was basically uh, NWA champion a lot of times. Um, and so you would have him come into Texas. He would, you know, beat a bunch of the, the lower level guys. Uh, and then, you know, he would face one of the Von Erics, uh, who were one of the big, you know, God, if you go back and look at some of that uh, footage from like the, the late 70s, like early to mid 80s of the Von Erics, it's like straight up Beatlemania. It is ridiculous. The, 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 the pandemonium. That those crowds were causing, but yeah, you shine them up real nice, uh, and then and then usually uh, the heel will, will still win, but in a dastardly way, them cheating or something like that. Like a lot, of, a lot of what they did, they uh, Dusty Rhodes was also a booker at the time uh, in like the seventies and eighties and so on, uh, and and he was also a wrestler, and they would do what they would call the Dusty Finish, where he was the good guy in the territory, and uh, you want to send the crowd home happy at the end of a big angle or big program um but you still want to keep like the title on the the heel so they can take the title to the next territory so what you would do is you would have this quote-unquote schmaz of a finish maybe the referee gets knocked down or something like that and uh 
Dusty will pin the the bad guy, and so he gets the visual win. Everyone sees that he won fair and square. He can do it, uh, but either there's interference or, you know, while the ref is not looking, there's a low blow, there's cheating, uh, d- dastardly happenings all around. Uh, and so That's the crowd... Schmoz. Yeah, it's been basically like a very uh, a big kerfuffle of an ending uh, where, you know, for a second, the audience is like, yeah, he won. He did it. And then it like all gets ripped away from yeah. on the play. The 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 usually the um, uh, authority figure will come in, have a very serious co- conference with the, 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 the ring announcer and the referee. And they'll be like, this guy over here. Yeah, he was there. OK, yeah. And then the announcer will be like. Uh, due to interference, you're uh, the winner of the match, and still, and then everyone's like, wow, oh, and then they throw batteries and piss. If we're in Puerto Rico, that happens. Um, yeah, shit gets fucked up in Puerto Rico. Um, watch, there's a documentary series called Dark Side of the Ring that's very, very good. Uh, watch the uh, Bruiser Brody episode um, that uh, investigates uh, who exactly murdered him in the showers in Puerto Rico. Oh, um, okay. Speaking of murder... Uh, so at one point, at, at a certain point, Vince McMahon Jr. is able to finally wrestle control of the WWF from his father, who never actually really wanted him to take over the territory to begin with. Um, but Vince, in this aspect, is is a legitimate visionary. Is he also an absolute piece of shit? Yes, of course, most people in wrestling are. But he one he is the one and only reason why wrestling is where it is today because he he sees what's on the horizon he sees TV he sees cable the first uh, the first televised wrestling event was in 1942 so wrestling has always been on the forefront of of moving media forward um, and he sees cable on the horizon and so what he starts doing is he he makes a, a, a deal uh, with the TBS superstation which has a, a wider reach. Uh, to nationwide, um, and he starts basically breaking uh, the the agreement that the NWA has had for all these years, and he starts poaching talent and signing them to exclusive deals with what he then turned into the WWF, World Wrestling Federation. Um, and so he takes Hulk Hogan, he takes Junkyard Dog, he takes the Ted DiBiase, he turns him into the Million Dollar Man, he gives them larger-than-life uh, uh, personas, whereas like Ted DiBiase was just a regular guy, but ne- like uh, a good bad guy. Uh, but then he takes him, makes him the million dollar man, and after shows again to live the gimmick, he gives Ted DiBiase wads of cash. So when he goes out to eat after the matches, he will pick up the tab for everybody in the restaurant. <coughs> Shit like that, and like for example, also like he, again he see he sees just where things are going. Like for example. Uh, Sylvester Stallone wanted Hulk Hogan to be in Rocky III. They offered him the role of Thunderlips. And at the time, Hulk Hogan was working for the AWA with Vern Gagne. And he, Vern Gagne, didn't want Hogan to do it because he felt like it'd be a distraction. Uh, Whereas when Vince poached Hogan away from uh, uh, the AWA, he's like, you're absolutely doing this role. And guess who else was in that movie? Mr. T, who was his tag team partner in WrestleMania 1, Mr. T. And that's also the whole uh, uh, cross-section of time with the Rock and Wrestling connection where Vince has starts making connections with MTV and a lot of pop superstars. That's where you get Captain Lou Albano and Wendy Richter working with Cyndi Lauper. She's also involved with WrestleMania 1. Vince straight what? up. Wait, what? Yeah, oh, yeah. 
Uh, hey, like hey. The true colors of tussling? No, girls just want to have fun. She can do whatever she wants. And 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 straight up. Uh, <laughs> so, well, if you go back and watch that music video, Captain Lou Albano is in the music video. Yes, he was my grandfather's college roommate and college football teammate. What? Uh, wow. Yeah. Um, uh, grew up hearing a lot of. He was. He was. Captain Lou Albano was crazy. He's a crazy man. Uh, straight up, like pierced rubber bands onto his face. Part of his look. Um, and, uh, yeah. And so Cindy Lauper, uh, was in the corner of Wendy Richter, uh, and Captain Lobano was in the corner of, uh, the aforementioned, allegedly horrible person, uh, the fabulous Mula. I remembered, as I said that, uh, that you really have to put allegedly in front of everything in the wrestling business because you have to. Um, and yeah, so they were on MTV and, you know, getting a lot of promo that way. Um, and... Yeah, like Vince just kind of saw all the all the angles and and so much so to where for WrestleMania one, he like he paid for that out of pocket, basically. Like he more he like put his house, his own house on the line uh, for wrestle to fund WrestleMania one, which technically wasn't a pay-per-view. It was uh, available in closed circuit. So basically, you'd have to go to like a movie theater to watch it, which I'm sure was pretty cool at the time. Oh, wow. Um, I bet they weren't playing drinking games there, though. Uh, likely not. Um, if I had a time machine. I mean, machine. I don't know. I love, I love sneaking a small box of wine into the movie theater. Uh, 1985. Yeah. It was the 80s. They were, they were boozing in the movie theater. Um, but there were no laws in the 80s. Yeah, but they didn't have codified rules True. for the drinking game. Oh, okay. Organization is really what they lacked. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so as, as Vince is basically poaching all of this talent, uh, that is obviously not sitting well with all of the other territories and as legend has it there was a meeting uh with all the the, the promoters of these territories uh in which they allegedly uh we were seriously talking about uh how they could murder vince mcmahon <laughs> Uh, they were like actually trying to allegedly trying to bang out the Casual. logistics. This is like some Tiger King shit. It's some it's some real mob shit. It really is, but also like mostly like Carney and Southern. Yeah. So, hence you know Car- Tiger King. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know the Carney mob. Yeah. Uh, the old Carney mob. Carney so mob monster is what they used to call me actually. I want to see them do a uh, an adaptation of The Godfather, but it's all Carneys or like Goodfellas. <laughs> But it's all Cardies. What's what would what would that be called, Rip? Good old boys. Good old boys. <laughs> um, which would also be just about as racist as the actual wrestling business, um, which uh, has a long, 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 long history of uh, playing up a lot of racial stereotypes. Like in a lot of ways, it is it's very racist. But in a lot of ways, um, it's like that old school '60s way of not being racist because, like, hey, money spends, you know. Um, which is like, well, that's shitty, but at least you're headed the right direction. Um, and <laughs> got to start somewhere. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so it's, and it's rough, man. Cause like a big stereotype in wrestling is like the evil foreign heel. So, you know, you have like a lot of sheiks, you have, uh, a lot of evil Canadians, which is a weird thing. <laughs> uh, it's I, like, that's, I love that. Yeah. That's. <laughs> All right, that took some uh, some real uh, creative, creative panache uh, to make Robin the Canadians Dick, evil. Justin Bieber. Yeah, yeah, never mind. We got it. There's a whole, there's a history of them. 
Yeah. Um. Uh. But yeah. So WWF is is you know the the household name. It's the industry standard. Hulkamania is running wild. He's on SNL. He's on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Uh. And meanwhile, like the NWA is trying its best to turn itself national. Um. You know, it tries to it's to do its best to get its own television programming. You know, same thing with like the AWA breaks off and like has a program on a very fledgling ESPN, but that doesn't really do much. Um, and again, they're all still getting poached. Uh, but the NWA eventually does kind of have its own sort of like southern foothold and eventually uh, is bought by Ted Turner, uh, billionaire Ted, uh, and they turn themselves into world championship wrestling. And they are headquartered in Atlanta and WWF is headquartered in uh, technically Connecticut, but they refer to the two as either you're going to New York or you're going to Atlanta. Um, when I think of tussling, I think of Connecticut. <laughs> you know, those hard knock streets of, of Greenwich, Connecticut. You got to look out. <laughs> um, and so then there's like the bubblings of like an actual competition. Like there still really is no con- like WWF is very far and away in the lead. Um, but they are definitely the, the more entertainment brand you know they have the big flashy characters they have hulk hogan they have macho man randy savage they have sergeant slaughter uh whereas nwa slash wcw uh has and is more known for a reputation of actual technical good wrestling they still have a lot of very good personalities like dusty Rhodes, like rick flair like sting like the road warriors um but they are more so known as like if you're if you're a real wrestling if you're a real wrestling fan and you watch the shows in the smoke filled auditoriums, you know then then that and WCW is where you're at. You know your NWA that's that's tradition. You know in the Greensboro Coliseum, Flair Country, um, <laughs> and but then so so Ted Turner has WCW and they're you know kind of bipping and bopping around like they're doing their thing. But Ted wants to compete. Ted. Is like, how do we actually make a mark in this industry? And so he hires like a young up and coming kind of like sales guy. He's also kind of a, an on-screen personality, just doing like um, like interviews and like commentary maybe here and there named Eric Bischoff. And uh, as, as legend has it, in the meeting, uh, Ted asks Eric Bischoff, what can we do to compete with WWF, with Vince? And at the time, WWF had uh, its regular programming. It was like uh, every Monday night on USA, Monday Night Raw. And it was pre-taped, but it was still like kind of the only game in town. And so Eric Bischoff goes, give me, give me Monday Night. Put me head-to-head up against Vince. And so WCW Monday Nitro is born, as is the Monday Night Wars. Um, in 1995, in September, I believe. The first Monday Nitro... Uh, broadcast live from the Mall of America to coincide with the opening of Hulk Hogan's Pasta Mania. Wait. What? Look it up. Hulk Hogan had a food court pasta restaurant called Pasta Mania. Does that mean that they're not a viable potential sponsor? Hmm. You know, I don't know if he still has the the trademark locked up. (laughs) But we'll look into it. Yeah. But also, wouldn't necessarily want to be in business with Hulk Hogan. True. Um, uh, one, because he was always just kind of a dickhead backstage and always politicked for himself. Politicking in backstage wrestling is as 
much of a tradition as wrestling itself. Um, and so all throughout the Monday Night Wars, uh, so what WCW starts to do uh, a little bit before Monday Nitro starts is they start taking all of the former huge stars that WWF had, your Hogan's, your Savage's, uh, because Vince sees them as getting a little bit older. Plus, he's in the middle of a steroid trial. So mm-hmm. a lot of his superstars need to kind of look not as bigger than larger than life. Oh. Um, so like Hogan's let go. Savage is let go. Literally all of Hogan's cronies are let go. Like the Nasty Boys and, and, and Brutus the Barber Beefcake. Um, I love the Nasty Boys. One time the Nasty Boys went up against uh, Pagan by Nature. And boy, <laughs> what, a, what a match. Uh, uh, the Brutus the Barber Beefcake, uh, because that name was uh, trademarked in WWF, uh, went through a series of failed names and gimmicks in WCW, uh, such as Brother Brutai, the Man with No Name, which is a little on the nose, uh, the Zodiac, uh, and the Booty Man. Uh, Ed Leslie, interesting about career. The man. <laughs> we all fear the Boogeyman. But do we fear the booty man? And by the boogeyman, <laughs> you mean the mid-aughts WWE wrestler, the boogeyman, uh, who oh, ate worms. Oh, of because that's, that's my reference level, is, is I'm always naming the wrestler. Of I course. Like... Is there anything that's not the name of a wrestler? Like... No. Natalie, Literally, you... no. <laughs> Natalie, do you have a book near hand? Uh, Any sure. sort of book? Can you open it and point library. to a word? And yep. Rip, you have to see if there's... If there's a... I can 100% nail this game. Get the closest word that's not like a the or a heretofore. Well, this one's too easy because the first word that I see is swaggering. Okay. All right. Uh, Wrestler, WWE wrestler, Jack Swagger. (laughs) Okay. Give us Uh, another one. Different page. Different page, Natalie. Okay. So not not Doomsday. I'm looking at Contact by Carl Sagan. (laughs) I know you said Doomsday. Uh, Yeah. Actually, uh, this past weekend at NXT TakeOver 30, uh, Karrion Cross won the NXT title with his Doomsday Saito Suplex. Oh, my God. I love this so much. I want to delete the rest of the podcast and just (laughs) just have it in two hours of Rip playing this game. Yeah. Uh, Hang on. Because I saw Trojan Horse. uh, This is really bumming me out because this 100% should have been a game that we played on Potswoggle. Because... Rip, I'm just going to start texting you random words yeah. without context, and you just have to text me back the wrestling. Uh, my buddy term. Ozzy, who co-hosts the Circle of Slime podcast, uh, DM me a post on Instagram, but you know whenever you don't follow the account and it's locked up, you can't see what the post yeah. is. Uh, and so he sent me one that I couldn't see, but he's like, hey, man, did he really tear his quads in this clip? And I'm like... I can't see the clip, but I'm sure you're referencing the 2005 Royal Rumble when John Cena and Batista both botched the ending uh, and both went over. They were the last two in the match. They both went over the rope at the same time uh, and making it impossible to declare a winner. And that also wasn't supposed to happen. So Vince McMahon, uh, a man in his 60s at this point who had been sitting for three hours straight in the back, comes charging out down the aisle, pissed off and tries to jump and slide in the ring. His old-ass quads hit the apron of the ring. He tries to stand up, crumbles down, and is just sitting like an angry toddler up against the ropes telling them to get it straight. And so they restart the match. Uh, And I'm like, so uh, if this is what you're referencing, yes, he did actually tear both of his quads. And was that correct? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) All right, Natalie, one more word. Make it a good one. Vegetation. (sighs) 
I needed to make it a hard one because oh. everything else was working too well. Well, so there's a couple of different <laughs> ways I can go with this. Uh, the first one that came to mind was uh, uh, Daniel Bryan, who isn't a vegetarian, but he's a vegan. Um, and uh, a little over a year at this point, he started running with a gimmick that was very much like a very um, eco, not an eco terrorist, but like very uh, eco minded, like I'm the planet's champion. And he was he won the actual WWE title and he had it redone instead of it being like a leather and gold bet, belt. It was like hemp and turquoise and wooden and it was actually beautiful um but to be more literal with vegetative there was a storyline in the attitude era which kind of got born out from the uh monday night wars and where uh linda mcmahon uh, hu- uh wife of vince mcmahon and uh was formerly the uh, head of uh, the Department of Small Business under the Trump administration, because, yes, they are those people. She now heads up a Trump super PAC. It sucks real quickly. Um, but there was a storyline where she was, like, in a vegetative state. And so she would always get wheeled out by Vince's uh, assistant, Trish Stratus. Um, and because Vince McMahon is an awful piece of shit, uh, he would, they would, like, do things where he would, like, make out with Trish Stratus in front of his wife. Um, but then at a certain point, she, like, comes up out of the wheelchair and, like, slaps the shit out of him because it's wrestling and so on and so forth. The oh whole family God. then got in, involved in wrestling. Oh, my this, God. This game took a really dark turn. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised we got that far without it not taking a very dark turn. Oh, man. Where was oh. I? <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah. So, uh... The, the Monday Night War is kicked off. We got old uh, WWF stars main eventing WCW. You have new and 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 you have new stars in WWF. But again, like the business as a whole is kind of in a lull period um, until uh, around 1996. I want to say like July 1996 earlier. Anyway, so. Two of the biggest stars in, in WWF. So there's actually a group in WWF called The Click. Um, K-L-I-Q, because it was the 90s and you had to spell everything like that. Um, you had to have a Q or a Z or whatever the hell in there. Um, and they were all, all very close to each other. And they did something that was very taboo, uh, not just in the business, but... It's still a shitty taboo in the workplace in general right now, but they started sh- telling each other what they were making. And, you know, unionization in wrestling has been a, a, a hot button issue for a long, long time. In the 80s, Jesse the Body Ventura, uh, uh, who would eventually go on to be the governor of Minnesota, um, tried to unionize the wrestlers. And, he cheated uh, on Sandra Bullock. Did he? Wasn't he married to Sandra Bullock? I think you're thinking of Jesse James. Never mind, I'm thinking of Jesse James. <laughs> uh Oh, We're the, talking about the Jesse the Body. The band yeah, Jesse James? Not yeah, Jesse no, the Body Sand- Ventura. Sandra Bullock is a time traveler, yes. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. She ran Everyone with Jesse that. James and the Youngers. Didn't you see The Notebook? Yeah. I mean, not you mean the, the Notebook. The Lake House? The Lake House, thank you. What year did The Lake House come out? 1999. Well, no, that's what? not true at all. That's not true at all. Hold on, The Lake House. Ah! Was it 2007? Six. Oh! Close. But yeah, so... Wait, Rip, why do you know that offhand? Because I worked at a movie theater that summer. Oh, I thought you were going to say because you watched it last night. <laughs> that time. Uh, so, yeah, so Jesse tried to unionize all the boys, and uh, Hogan allegedly kind of put the kibosh on that because that means he wouldn't have as much political power and stroke uh, and make as much money as he could have. 
uh, because he is also a piece of shit. Um, way back before uh, there was a sex tape of him uh, saying racial slurs on it. Um, and that eventually would lead to the fall of Gawker. Um, uh, yeah, so, but this is the closest thing that there has come to uh, unionization as far as kind of just getting on the same page for negotiating power. And of course, wrestlers are all independent contractors. They don't actually, they're not actually employees of the companies they work for. That's a whole other bag of beans. <laughs> <sighs> Part two of the season two finale. So now with the, the, the deep pockets that WCW has, thanks to Billionaire Ted, they can actually, they're, they're, you know, can make guaranteed contracts, offers, which had not been done in the wrestling industry before. Um, and so two of the biggest stars, in the click, it was Shawn Michaels, Triple H, Shawn Waltman, a.k.a. Uh, uh, at the time, 123Kid, uh, Razor Ramon, which was a Scarface Tony Montana knockoff, and Diesel. Uh, who was uh, Kevin Nash, who uh, previously up until that uh, played, uh, was wrestlers uh, 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 Vinny Vegas, uh, Master Blaster, and uh, Oz, because he used to work for WCW, and Turner had Turner Classic Movies, and they wanted to uh, do some cross-promotion with The Wizard of Oz, and so he was wrestling as Oz. But had they seen? Wait, was he wrestling? He was... (laughs) Wrestling as a Wizard of Oz, or they was wrestling as the geographic location, fictional location of Oz? No, because he would also come out with a Wizard of Oz. You know, it's so like wrestling to do the thing, but not know the thing. (laughs) Got it. Hey, I know that life. I know that Um, life. So, yeah, so that's That's Kevin. literally this podcast. Uh, He also played Super Shredder in uh, TMNT 2 Secret of the Years. Um, I love you so much. (laughs) This is just so magical to just watch you i'm glad we're recording this video because man you were on a roll and natalie and i are just like <gasps> so in awe uh and i'm trying to wrap it up soon because we've already been going so so long but like this period in wrestling history is just so dense yeah um because it, it takes it to new it takes it to heights that it had never seen before um so what happens is those two guys contract kevin nash and scott hall razor ramon uh their contracts are up uh, and so they sign with WCW, although this is before the internet, this is before leaks, this is before people really know what's going on in the industry. So nobody knows they really sign with WCW. Um, so during one episode of Monday Nitro, Scott Hall uh, comes out through the crowd, jumps over the barricade, uh, interrupts, doesn't beat anybody up during the match, but it's in the middle of the match. He takes a microphone and just says, looks down the barrel of the television camera and just says, you know who I am? But you don't know why I'm here. Uh, <laughs> and it has to be left that ambiguous because WCW doesn't own the rights to the name Razor Ramon. WWF does. And so he has to play off the idea that, yeah, you know I'm Razor Ramon. Him. It's exactly. like the first crossover. And so that's exactly what they they want people to believe is that WWF wrestlers are invading WCW. And so Scott Hall shows up the next few weeks in a row saying, and I got the big guy coming behind me. He's going to be here next week. And so then Kevin Nash shows up at the Great American Bash. And again, they're not, they're, at that point, they are referring to them as Scott Hall and Kevin Nash. Mm-hmm. Um, because again, WWF owns the rights. In fact, because they own the rights, they get two wrestlers that are at least the same shape and build as Scott Hall and Kevin Nash to try and portray 
Diesel and Razor Ramon. That does not go over well. <laughs> you can't recast this late in the season. <laughs> Unless yeah. you are the crown. That's yes. exactly what they tried to do. <laughs> um, so, yeah. And so, at this point, uh, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash are coming in as the Outsiders. Literally, that's their tag team name. And they're, uh, they're teasing uh, in this three-on-three match at Bash at the Beach. Uh, they have a third man. And everyone in WCW is is paranoid because the place is full of former WWF guys. So who's the third man? Who's the one that's going to be the traitor? And uh, they go the whole match. It's Randy Savage, Sting, and Lex Luger versus Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, and the Lex third man hasn't Luger. come out. Yeah. Uh, and towards the end of the match, uh, it's it's pandemonium. It's hectic. People are in and out. And then here comes to save the day, the hero in the red and yellow, Hulk Hogan. And he comes down. It's like, oh, we were saved. WCW saved. He comes out. Macho Man is laying on the ground. He takes a few steps back, bounces off the ropes, drops that famous finisher, the big leg drop across the throat of Macho Man Randy Savage. And for the first time since he started his career, Hulk Hogan is a heel. Go back and watch this video. People are irate, throwing trash and water bottles and magazines and whatever they can get their hands on into the ring. And then Hogan cuts this promo uh, where he says, this is the new world order of wrestling, brother, and aligns himself with Scott Hall and Kevin Nash. And that's when the NWO was born. And that is when everything takes off. And WCW, because no one's ever, like, no, no one ever thought they'd see the day that this happened. And so WCW hits the ground running and, and the, in a ratings battle where WCW and WWF are struggling for that number one spot. They're even beating Monday Night Football. They're beating everything on Monday night. Are you and serious? They, oh, absolutely. Ratings are through the roof at this point, like sky high. And they're trading off number one spots. And then for a long stretch, WCW is in number one for 81 weeks in a row. 82 weeks. 80, it's the name of Eric Bischoff's podcast because he's still kind of the, the head of the operation at this point. He's kind of the brains of the operation making it happen. Although there's a lot of guys who not only do they have guaranteed contracts, they also have a lot of creative control, which was also unprecedented. Uh, you usually have to politic it, but normally the booker, you know, or basically like the head writer essentially would have control or the booking committee as it were. Um, so what this does, this forces WWF to kind of like abandon a lot of the what had been looked at now as cartoonish uh, characters. Literally, if you name a profession, there was a character for it. Garbage Man, Duke the Dumpster Drossy, Hockey Player, The Goon, uh, Plumber, <laughs> T.L. Hopper. Uh, you name it. Uh, veterinarian. Cop, big Boss Man. Veterinarian. Not the Builder. Uh, 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 veterinarian, not quite, but in the early 90s, late 80s, uh, there were a slew of wrestlers with animal mascots such as Jake the Snake Roberts, uh, 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 Coco Beware and his parrot Frankie, uh, the British Bulldogs and their bulldog Matilda. Uh, Jake the Snake's snake was named Damien. You name it, there's an animal for it. So there's your veterinarian. Uh, <laughs> the entire animal kingdom. Yes. Um, but, yeah, so like Vince McMahon even like goes on television and says... We have been failing you. We are not reflecting 
the, the the current television climate. And this is at the very beginning of like Car Crash TV and Jerry Springer and Girls Gone Wild and all that crazy nonsense that if you look back at television programming in like the late 90s, you're like, wow, <laughs> we fucking did that, huh? Um, and so they start kind of booking and putting on more edgy programming. That's where uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin really just like they take the the you know, uh, 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 regulator off of him. And he's just, just cutting these incredibly fiery promos and tapping into this idea of the working man versus your billionaire boss. And one of the greatest feuds of all time is literally stone cold, Steve Austin versus Mr. McMahon. Um, you want to go back to the fuzziness of like, of have, of, of, uh, I forget the specific instance, Nat, that you mentioned, where like is like basically you know do people always know what the ending of matches are going to be? There's a great documentary. Uh, I can go through a bunch of great documentaries at the end called Wrestling with Shadows, and it's crazy that this thing even happened because basically Bret Hart, who had been with the WWF almost his entire life, um, his contract was coming up. WWF couldn't afford him. WCW was making a great offer. Bret Hart didn't want to go to WCW, uh, but he was the champion at the time. And Vince basically told him, you got to go, man. I can't pay you. You got to go. He's like, fine. But I don't want to lose the title in Canada. He was Canadian, very proud Canadian. And his last day on the contract was going to be in Montreal for Survivor Series. And he's like, I don't want to lose the title in my home country. And I don't want to lose the title to Shawn Michaels, who was a real dickhead at the time. Um, and they had real life heat between each other. Um and Vince is like, well, you know, we can't. That's not how it's done. Whenever you're leaving, you got to go out on your back, this and that. And he's like, the next night on Monday Night Raw, I'll, I'll relinquish the title and it'll be fine. He's like, oh, okay. But Vince was still uneasy about the whole thing. And then there's a Wrestling with Shadows, uh, uh, Dark Side of the Ring episode on this as well. But also, again, the entire documentary, Wrestling with Shadows, which I think is on YouTube. Somebody suggests to Vince, fuck him. Fuck him. If he doesn't want to do business, we'll do business for him. Uh, whether that was Triple H Vince Russo, Jim Cornette that suggested this. It was suggested, and they went through with it. In the main event of this show, Bret Hart uh, and Shawn Michaels are in the middle of their match. Shawn Michaels gets Bret Hart in Bret's finishing maneuver, the sharpshooter. Rolls him over. It's a submission maneuver. And Bret, just laying there, not doing anything. And the referee, Vince McMahon, comes out and yells at the referee to ring the bell as, 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 like, as though Bret Hart had submitted. And so the bell rings. Everyone's like, what the fuck just happened? And things, real life, start to break down. And basically what happened was Shawn Michaels, now the champion, and they screwed Brett and sent him packing. And then that basically birthed the real life, well, the on-screen villain of of Mr. McMahon. Um, The... And there was a fucking backstage documentary crew for the whole thing. And it's crazy that that even happened. And it's also the reason why that doesn't happen anymore unless it's their actual own documentary crew. And it really even came to that. Like, it took months later until Bret Hart showed up in WCW. And they fucking squandered him. But that's a podcast for another podcast. Uh, Eventually, the backstage politicking and the inability of WCW to create their own stars, as opposed to WWF, who not only created Stone Cold Steve Austin, but created The Rock created Mankind, created The Big Show, created Triple H, uh, you know, like all these uh, stars. They all would also take WCW stars and turn them into to main eventers like Chris Jericho, 
uh, and Eddie Guerrero, um, you know, eventually WCW just was mismanaged to hell. Uh, they lost, and 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 uh, Turner got sold to AOL Time Warner, um, and they had no interest in keeping wrestling, which they viewed as a, a, a substandard product uh, for a lower class of television viewer on their airwaves. So they canceled it. Uh, WWF bought the rights to WCW, a lot of their wrestlers, not all of them, not the important ones, and their tape library for $3 million in 2001. And it was, I believe it was a May night in 2001 where Shane McMahon, Vince's kid, showed up live on WCW Nitro on TNT on the last episode of Nitro, and they storyline started the invasion angle uh, where Shane McMahon storyline bought WCW and so then they tried to keep WCW going on for a little while under the hood of WWF. And it didn't work and it was bad. And then it got really stale for a long time. They had a hard time finding new stars. You know, they eventually got John Cena. They got Batista. They got Edge. And, you know, they kept them afloat. You know, Undertaker never really went anywhere. They kept them afloat through the years. And, and yeah, now we're in an era where there's new competition in this company called AEW. Uh, the world has gotten smaller, so it's a lot easier to access uh, worldwide promotions such as New Japan Pro Wrestling, All Japan Pro Wrestling. You know, you could find there's a lot more options out there. There's independent wrestling TV, which broadcasts online like thousands of independent promotions, if not hundreds at least. And and it's while numbers will never be the same because that's just not what the media landscape is anymore. It's certainly a high and a low point for the wrestling industry because as as many other industries are, especially in the last five to seven years, um, are undergoing reckonings uh, with behavior on uh, uh, a lot of equal fronts, whether it be uh, movements such as uh, uh, gender equality, racial equality. Um, You know, there's a lot of bad actors uh, in this industry, as there are so many industries. But with wrestling, boy, isn't it five years behind everything? Uh, so while it's such a high time for wrestling right now and, and, and being able to access it wherever, uh, it's arguably not been a harder time to be a fan of a particular wrestler because you just never know what the fuck's going to come out about them. Um, and it's a real bummer. And that's where we are now. <laughs> what? Yeah, well, like, legitimately, like, I've only just recently started getting back into watching wrestling because, like, mm-hmm. after Potswoggle ended, wrestling still never really, like, when COVID started, everything else stopped except for wrestling because wrestling is going to wrestle. Wrestling is yeah. going to be carny as fuck and try to circumnavigate <laughs> the rules and, you know, try to be the exception. Probably uh, create it, a character whose show name is like COVID. It, yeah. I mean, it will be like that. It, I mean, that's played in the politics plague. because there's some wrestlers that like refused to come into work for WWE, even though, like, they weren't testing for COVID, whereas AEW was at least testing every time they were putting on a show. Um, and, you know, again, it always they'll, they'll always try and, like, reflect things that are happening, but it's incredibly tone-deaf. Like, there's this, like, very secretive unknown group right now in WWE right now called Retribution, and it's, it's mirroring a lot of, quote-unquote, Antifa fucking rioting and looting and shit like that and it's like fuck off with your bullshit mm. um and yeah so you know you really got to be into problematic faves right now <laughs> to be a wrestling fan although there's some there's some lights you know uh mustafa ali is like very good and wholesome 
Same thing with like Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. And these are just like the WWE side of things. Like a Daniel Bryan is another good one. There's some good boys out there. That is for sure. At least again, as far as we know. Um, And women's wrestling. Boy, just in the last four to six years, women's wrestling has finally taken on uh, uh, some semblance of uh, equality, at least when it comes to quality in the ring, um, to men's wrestling. Uh, Whereas, like, you know... Uh, for the longest stretch of time, like it was always viewed as a special attraction, and then in the Didn't Attitude Era, it was straight up just like bra and panties matches and mud wrestling and just all sort just TNA rampant. You're... Didn't they just have their first Royal Rumble, their first women's uh, Royal Rumble? I want to say two years ago, three years ago, maybe was the first women's Royal Rumble. Um, there was also an all-women's pay-per-view, although you could argue that it was a pay-per-view and you could say it was just a special event because it sure didn't have the pyro and ballyhoo of a pay-per-view. Uh, but it was an all-women's show called Evolution, um, which they use a lot in WWE. They use the terms revolution and evolution, which also just kind of seems like a little down-talky to me. Um, it's like, just fucking, just just put it on. Just just put on, put forth the improved product Just and, and just, you, you don't have to fucking pat yourself on the back every time something a milestone happens because all that does is remind us how shitty it was for so long. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, you're seeing just a whole new generation of performers that women performers that grew up watching, mm-hmm. you know, wrestling and, and what, and, and being fans of like the male performers and saying, no, I want to do that shit. And now they're here putting on barn burners and, and five star classics. Uh, and it's a great thing. And there's so much, so much women's wrestling talent out there right now, um, and great places for that are WWE's NXT. Um, WWE in general is doing a pretty good job. AEW needs to do a much better job of presenting their women talent in a in a more featured light. Um, and then, of course, in Japan, uh, so it's not tradition to really have men and women on the same roster in the same companies but joshi wrestling which is women's japanese wrestling is some of the most entertaining fucking wrestling on earth hands down men or women doesn't fucking matter it rules so there's that uh as well um wow what a nerd (laughs) i'm gonna go um give yourself a wedgie and play with with your wrestling buddy or whatever yeah So yeah, uh, I know I I rambled on so long there, but again, it gets real thick uh, uh, towards the end there. Just pure unbridled passion. It's what we love about your rip. I love it so much. It's why we were like, we can choose this topic. What's funny is that I think we were like, we can choose this topic. And like, I'm, I'm very confident Rip can do at least like the broad strokes. Mm. And like at least like (laughs) the two... At least, like, the WCW, WWF, like, rivalry, that whole story. Yeah. Bare minimum. And then we... When, we got into, like, time, wrestling Rip, wars. Yeah, Rip is like, Rip is like, cracks knuckles, hold my beer. Here's an encyclopedic knowledge of <laughs> wrestling. I and I know there's more, and I can do it all. I'm just choosing not to. Yeah. Well, if anyone's interested in more history of the wrestling industry in a much more entertaining and inebriated uh, fashion, um, there are a lot of uh, the we used to do. We used to get mullet hammered and make them do drunk histories <laughs> on uh, either moments of performers. And so there's a lot of them up in the feed. A lot of them we took down because we were going to put behind uh, the Patreon paywall, but we're just going to put them back up because they're too good. And yeah, so seek those out. Those are 
one, so much more accurate. Two, so much more entertaining than what I just did. But, yeah. <laughs> well, you set me up perfectly to, to start saying our farewells because you brought up the Patreon. And the week, the, the week that this episode is coming out, this our season two finale episode... Uh, we will. We can't stay away for long, so this week we will have a new bonus episode up on our Patreon. So if you want access to that, go to patreon.com slash arcade audio. Tell them we sent you. We're doing a series called Little Locals, where we take something from Des Moines or Iowa or Chicago slash the greater Chicagoland area. At, that we pass all the time, that we see all the time, and then we do a very brief history on who the fuck that park is named after, or what the hell that street be. Uh, we already, we've had one out Why is month. there a castle in the middle of Winterset, Iowa? You know, these there things. There is. So this, this week, it is a story about Logan Square, so... Hot, spicy news, just spilling some oil over here. <laughs> In the meantime, we're going to be running also a giveaway on the social medias during this hiatus between seasons. So check that out. It really just requires you to leave us a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher or both. And super simps. And it super, super helps uh, people find the podcast. Uh, it's very helpful for us and y'all and and everyone. Um, it we just super makes appreciate us it. feel good. May I also say uh while you were speaking of the patreon that uh when you subscribe uh to the patreon at the five dollar level to get all the bonus content you get bonus content for every show that produces it on arcade audio uh so you know that's just added value that means you also get access to the bonus series for quarter mile at a time the fast and furious podcast that i'm uh, doing with nick lathan where we watch the netflix original animated series fast and furious spy racers which Pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good. We've talked about well, just lots of things, lots of great pictures and images um, that we're going to be throwing up on the socials. That's at Shared Pod. Um, that's on Instagram and Twitter. Look and out always, for that. If you ever have any questions, corrections, or suggestions, you can yell them at us over the internet, either in a DM or via email at sharedhistorypodcast at gmail.com. Um, Rip, thanks so much for just just being you, first of all, for coming on the pod, and for just just knowing so much about wrestling and tussling. Well, blesses and thank you for having me. Uh, y'all a couple good brothers, and uh, you know you didn't you didn't work a stiff style. You worked light. Appreciated that. You worked left. Uh, you know, so that's uh, very much appreciated. And, None uh, of this means just, anything we're just, to Cass and I. You know, Rip, we're just a couple smarks over here, just trying to shoot straight. And, yeah. uh, and you know, as we oily boy smarks always say, share you later. Smark you later. <laughs> Thank you for playing Arcade Audio. Play more at arcadeaudio.net.